Warning. The Kingdom Cast podcast contains spoilers about comic books, movies, and entertainment in general, as well as anything else that crosses their minds. Please do not take any medical advice seriously, nor legal advice that they may or may not give out. For that matter, it's probably for the best that you take nothing that they say seriously. Welcome to Kingdom Casts, the podcast that discusses in-depth things that do not necessarily require in-depth discussions. It's Kingdom Casts podcast for the week of August 12th, 2020, the week that the comic book COVID crisis turned a new corner. Joining us once again is Sandra Chicken of the Sea Swindle. (gasps) (laughs) I'm Stan Daniel, and with me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. We got a situation on our hands, do we not? I suppose so. This is uh, across the board. We're going to get to the important DC stuff, but if the story's to be told, it's got to start with Warner Media. Warner Media has a new CEO named Jason Killar. K I L A R. He initiated a round of layoffs across the board this week. Now, a lot of people are reporting and saying, oh no, this happens all the time after big mergers, after big acquisitions, referring to AT&T acquiring WarnerMedia and by proxy DC Comics and DC IP properties. Yes, yes, this does happen in acquisitions. It just doesn't happen in the manner that this has typically gone down. And there's a lot of effort on WarnerMedia and AT&T's part to play this down. But make no bones about it. It's a dark time for comic book fans. Is it? Yep, it is. I mean, at some point in time, someone had to drag comic books to the 21st century. Well, how Mar- are you Marvel's, going to... been, Marvel's been killing it, for killing the comic book industry for years. I really don't see how, with them topping out, not facing the same sort of situation you mean, here. You mean nonstop relaunches and, and constant barrages of, of dozens upon dozens of variant covers for every issue was healthy in any conceivable way? It wasn't. Let, let's put it like this. Marvel did not kill the comic book industry by leaving Diamond Comics. As we've said in past comic episodes... Comic book industry's not dead. As we've said in past episodes, this was not a good move. The move to DC Comics running over to DCBS and Midtown Comics and pretending like they're distributors, which it's become readily apparent to retailers across the nation that they are not. They're just giant comic book stores out for themselves and completely killing any DC distribution through Diamond Comics, raising the cost of shipping to comics. No, Marvel hasn't made these moves. But let's get back to the problem at hand. Mm-hmm. Jason Killar, K-I-L-A-R, the CEO of Warner Brothers, I guess in an effort to show AT&T that Warner it can be a viable property, has swung in and laid off somewhere between 600 and 700 people. Now, The spin they're putting on this is, it's all okay. We meant to do this. This is going to be fine. This is not a course correction. This is a refocusing. Well, let me point out why it's a course correction and not a refocusing like they're trying to brand it. Is this where I say, what's the difference between a course correction and a refocusing? Why, yes, Sandra, it is. I'm glad you asked. 
AT&T Chief Financial Officer John Stevens has said that the layoffs that have ripped through Warner Media is an effort to refocus their attention on the company. This is not a course correction. He went on to say, and our information from this are co- is coming from a variety of sources, CBR.com, Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, CNN, and also Statista. Statista is a statistic website where you can look up the statistics of most anything. Stevens had said that the company's goal was to be super hyper-focused on direct-to-consumer streaming. Now, this was reported in Variety, a Hollywood Reporter, and CBR. He noted that HBO Max's launch was really successful. He put up a July report, showed that the HBO Max had attracted 4.1 million subscribers, and said that this comes from HBO's previous subscriber base switching over to Max, as well as just new subscribers coming into Max. Upon reading that, I immediately thought, that sounds odd. So I looked up the numbers for HBO by itself for 2019. And HBO by itself in the year 2019 had 43 million domestic subscribers. HBO Max does not. And to give you (laughs) reference on where the subscription base lies with the current streaming services, Disney Plus has 60.5 million right now. And projections, not Disney Plus's projections, not the Disney Company's projections, But projections show that it should hit 100 million by this time next year, three years ahead of the projected date. Netflix has 72.9 million. Peacock and CBS All Access are not worth mentioning at this point. But you look at that in comparison to the 4.1 million that HBO Max is touting without touting the other subscriber numbers or what Disney had in its first month of streaming, somewhere in the area of 50 million you know something's amiss, especially since two of the individuals that were laid off were the ones that pitched and headed up HBO Max. Warner Entertainment Chairman Bob Greenblatt and HBO Max Chief Content Officer Kevin Riley, those are the two individuals that were ousted from the HBO Max project. Everything's under a microscope at Warner Brothers right now. Warner Brothers is still concerned that AT&T could possibly sell it off piece by piece. Jason Killar, he's there to make it work. He's there to make the entire franchise work. Right on the chopping block is, of course, DC Universe streaming service. Albert, are you still on DC Universe streaming? No, I ain't been on that for a good long while. Okay, well, you may have noticed that they've moved Harley Quinn and Doom Patrol to HBO Max. Yeah. All of the content or all of the video content is getting ready to be moved to HBO Max. Uh, DC Universe streaming has been hit the hardest, arguably been hit the hardest by this because they are completely phasing it out. Now, I haven't read any announcements on what they're going to do with their current subscribers and all. Now, this doesn't really come as a shock. Once HBO Max went live, we just assumed at some point DC Universe was going to be incorporated to it. Did we not? Yeah, that's pretty much my my view on that. It's obvious. You've got this content. You need more content. This is where we're going. The comic book situation has not only turned a corner because of this, but the streaming situation has turned a corner because of this. 90% of resources that were going to NBC broadcasting is now being redirected by NBC Universal Comcast into their streaming service, Peacock, which had a miserable launch. CBS All Access 
very unceremoniously has suddenly changed its format up slightly and now has called home all Nickelodeon content, all BET content, a couple of other of the channels that they own. I forget exactly what they are. Called home all of their content as well. What you're going to continue to see is movies that are owned by the different corporations. The Disney films, which also Disney, which also owns Fox, has been calling home the X-Men films, has their syndication contracts expired one by one with the different companies that have been airing them over cable networks. Look for AT&T's cable network as well as Charter's cable network to be severely impacted by this in the next two years. So you've got a problem with Warner Brothers hemorrhaging money for AT&T. The good news for AT&T is that $200 billion debt that they had, that they've been scrambling around and was looking to sell part of Warner Gaming. They were shopping Warner Gaming around, which includes Street Fighter? No, Mortal no. Kombat. Yeah, I'm Mortal sorry. Kombat. I'm bad on the games. Mortal Kombat, Injustice, uh, the Batman games, an upcoming Suicide Squad game you told me, correct? Correct. What else am I leaving out from the gaming aspect? That's the main ones. Those are the main ones. Yeah, ever, ever since Warner bought that, that's sort of what they've done. So okay. just that stuff. Well, right there, that company by itself is worth $4 billion. The gaming is worth $4 billion. And AT&T was looking to shop that off. Right now, Killar has seemingly put a hiatus on shopping the gaming around, meaning they'll be keeping the gaming in-house. Albert, you've also told me of some games coming down the pike, and we'll cover those later. Good news for AT&T, aside from the fact that they're no longer or don't seem to be shopping around the gaming aspect of Warner for $4 billion anymore, is that their initial debt, which AT&T's initial debt was at $200 billion. I mean, that's a hell of a lot of debt. They had to pay off $65 billion of it within five years. Well, as it stands right now, that debt is down to about $150 billion. So AT&T did a good job of that. But they paid that debt down before the COVID virus situation, before all of the companies started reeling from the impact of this. Now, it was important to go over the Warner Brothers stuff before we got to the DC Comics stuff, because... You've got to understand or you've got to be aware of where the executives are coming from on this. The first name you need to be familiar with is one we've mentioned on the program before, and we're going to go ahead and mention her name again. Pamela Lifford? Yes, Pamela Lifford. Pamela Lifford is the woman that you see standing alongside Dan Didio and Jim Lee and most of the award ceremonies and the presentations and such for the comic books. Two things you need to understand about Pamela Lifford is Pamela Lifford is a no-holds-barred businesswoman, and she knows how to get to the top and how to get to it quickly, and she does not tolerate bullshit. The second thing you need to know about Pamela Lifford is she considers the comic book market, the weekly, the floppies, bullshit. She is not a friend to comic books at all. She's a friend to the intellectual property that is DC Comics. She appreciates the fact that Batman and Superman shirts combined outgross most small third world countries' gross domestic product, but she does not at all understand or appreciate comic book culture, and especially not comic shops or the weekly comic book shipments, the floppies going up on what used to be Wednesday, but now with DC is on Tuesday, thanks in large part to... Pamela Lifford's directions. Isn't she the one that sued no. Ike and Disney? 
Yes, Sandra, you're exactly correct. Miss Lifford was one of three women who got squeezed out of Marvel that had a problem with Ike Perlmutter at Marvel before the Disney acquisition and sued them after the Disney acquisition. She is sitting on top of DC Comics right now. Right. Hollywood Reporter has said that Jim Lee is no longer publisher of DC Comics. Rather, he will be serving as a liaison. Chief Creative Officer, something yeah. like that. Yeah, Chief Creative Officer, yeah. serving as a liaison between DC Comics and other aspects of Time Warner or Warner Brothers. And what that tells me, and Albert, if you've got a different feed on it, is while Jim Lee is certainly competent enough to be that, and the man I'd want in that position, that feels more like to me as we're switching your title, but you're keeping this paycheck and the prominence that you have because we definitely don't want you out as a free agent on the market. Yeah, it could just be a thing where the people involved are already used to Jim Lee and dealing with them on stuff. Yeah. So it could just be a simple thing. It's like they call him up, say, we, we need so-and-so, and then Jim Lee calls the editor, and that could be the extent of that job in reality, outside of the occasional Batman picture he draws for him. Bob Harris has been dismissed as editor-in-chief. Several other editors and talent have uh, longtime comic book lifers have been dismissed as well. We're not going to go down the line. We're just going to touch on the major positions that's open. There are two individuals being moved in that the rumor is that they'll be the publishers. You I'm are sorry, you're talking about them. Marie Javins and Michelle Wells. Yes, I am. Yes, yes I okay. am. Thank you. And they are typically at odds with each other, which sometimes in high-level positions like this, you want people at odds with each other. They're being moved into some high-level positions at D.C. There's also a major rumor going around, and this is where it gets kind of dicey, between Miss Lifford and this next rumor, that they're bringing in somebody from eSports, electronic sports, one particular individual to head up all of D.C. To me, that makes sense. Tell me why. Video games have already gone through this. Now, video games have the advantage that they, we've had online games since the 90s, really, as far as things your average consumer could play. We've had online games for decades at this point. But I guess if you was trying to, to take your print media, I'm sorry, I have a very low alcohol tolerance. <laughs> um, if you was trying to get your print media and you was trying to make it work in digital and you, you just ain't found the way to do it, getting someone that works in esports may be a pretty good way to go about that. They work in digital media, how they put their product out there, audience and everything. It's not the same sport, but it is sort of the same ballpark, you know, like... You're definitely in the ballpark for where they're thinking or where their line of thought is going. Now, if you recall last week before we had any inkling that this was coming around a corner, and also there's a specific reason for the timing of this as well. California has a law in effect called WARN, and the WARN law states that you have to give, I forget if it's 60 or 90 days. I read it as it concerns mass layoffs. Yes. So apparently, if you do layoffs above a certain number, which I don't remember what the number is, you have to go by this law, which is you have to give them 60 days notice. DC slash Warner slash AT&T has given them, I believe, a 90-day warning. So, yes. 
Yeah, so they're well within that law. Roughly three months to do the transition and rotate everything out and everything in. And there was an entertainment lawyer's opinion saying that they gave them the excess time to leave absolutely no room for litigation on this. Yeah. They are crossing their T's, dotting their I's. And, and regardless of how you feel about these people being let go like this, 90 days is an awful long time. No. Well, yeah, 90 days from August here is in November is till Thanksgiving. And most of the people they let go, their last day was yesterday. Yeah, I assume some of them, it's more of like, we, you're going to stay around a while and we'll take care of you. Here's your transitional period, but you know, a lot of these people, I I assume, are just at home and they've got 90 days to figure something out. I'm sure umbrellas were offered, but the major point here is that Warner Brothers is making sure that there's no room for litigation to come back to bite them in the butt for any of this. That's very, very important, especially to an aspect of AT&T that, as we've said before, is hemorrhaging money, and AT&T is looking at them as hemorrhaging money. And I also assume over the course of that 90 days, you're not allowed to to go air any type of dirty laundry, or or not really. It doesn't necessarily have to be dirty laundry. It's just you're not allowed to go saying how everything's going. There will be ironclad. You know, what's that? Everything's like, here's 90 days sitting home getting paid, and all you got to do is is be quiet and go look for a job if you want to go look for a job. There will be ironclad non-disclosure agreements across the board on this for the ones that accept their parachute on the way out and the dismissal agreements and all from Warner Brothers. But in the next few months, what you can expect to see coming through Hollywood Reporter, Variety, even CBR, and the other comic book websites and the other entertainment websites will be second-party leaks to the media about what went down in this situation. We have not heard a response from Jim Lee or Bob Harris or any of the major players. The only response anybody has gotten is Newsarama is claiming that they had emailed Pamela Lifford and she responded with, no comment, thanks. Yeah. So that's where we are right now. Those are the facts as we know them currently. There's several more facts, like uh, DC Collectibles is gone. But they've contracted most of the DC toy items out to McFarland, and I'm sure there's deals in the work with Mattel, Hasbro, or somebody yeah, I, else. Yeah, the DC, used to be called DC Direct or something like that. Yeah, DC Direct. I still call them DC Direct. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's not, that's almost not even, to me, not even part of this. Yeah. It just seemed like once Todd got that contract, Todd McFarlane got that contract, that was probably the end of days for that anyway. Over the years, they had slowly reduced some of that down anyway. Those are most of the facts as we know them. I'm going to engage in slight speculation here. I'm going to call a couple of shots. One more fact. One more fact. And Sandra, I believe you brought this up. One of the reasons for the mass layoff, non-official statements saying, oh, it's because of COVID, it's because of this, and we want to be more focused on these situations, but also that DC Comics sales have taken a hit after they moved from Diamond to DCBS and Midtown Comics that they underestimated the reaction of independent direct sell marketers, in other words, comic shop owners, to this situation. And there are several stories out there already 
detailing how, yeah, the shipping on it kills them. The terms of payment is just absolutely horrid in comparison to what Diamond Comics offers. And, uh, of course, the rise in shipping costs. Basically, what it's coming down to is store owners have been ordering very little above actual pull list numbers of the DC product that comes in weekly. They acted as though that's unexpected. For DC Comics as a whole, yes, that that may have been underestimated or not expected. However, and this is where I'm going to speculate, let's say that you are a no-nonsense business person and you're in a position of power over some of the greatest IP properties in the world, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Let's say that you can see a great future in these properties, but the weekly comic books just make absolutely no sense to you, nor do you have any respect for the people who collect the weekly comic books or, you know, follow the monthly adventures of these characters in that format. In other words, there's nothing in the comic books that couldn't be in an animated movie or a TV streaming series, or something along those lines, and you just don't like the comic books. You see them as detrimental to cost. In other words, they're not making you any money. So say that you're in this position of power, but you've got two other individuals that are in key positions as well that are almost as respected by the corporation as you are. Say Jim Lee, and um, there's going to be a minor earthquake here with me saying this, Dan Didio. Say you need to eliminate their position of power or their positions of power or you need to redefine their positions of power. Well, as we know, Dan Didio's out and been out. Jim Lee's just had his position redefined. Chief Creative Officer sounds like a pretty powerful position, but having been myself a Chief Creative Officer, I'm here to tell you it's just a quick way for the Chief Financial Officer and the CEO to run over your ass. Also, Jim Lee gets his title changed once every few years anyway. Yeah. So So long as the paycheck remains the same, I'm sure he's okay. Yeah. I'm never sure what he he actually does. He draws Batman. Yeah, I don't know if... I don't know if you... Occasionally, he will draw something else. But he draws Batman, and they're like, here's a bunch of money for you to not go anywhere else. So back to me using my imagination. So say you're this person, and you've successfully negated two individuals that stand in your way on this. Not only that, but your corporation's been bought out by a major corporation, and they've replaced the CEO. And the CEO has the same vision you do. Why comic books, when we can put them on a streaming series... And get more subscribers to HBO Max, which is a property that, while I like it, is not as successful as they wanted it to be at the get-go. And then the CEO takes the opportunity to clear the board. The CEO considers putting somebody from eSports over the DC Comics property that will be working underneath you. As you said earlier, Albert, eSports, boy, they figured out how to do the sports gaming, the sports online, and so on and so forth. So they're being brought in for one reason only, to successfully translate these comics into online properties. I really do think that if this is the scenario, and we won't know for about a month or so, then Miss Lifford and whoever the esports individual is, along with the two people that are rumored to uh, being put up as publishers, are going to be working on the dissolution of floppy comics on the shelves and the direct sales market altogether. 
Well, something's got to be done about direct sales market anyway. Yeah, I agree. But I just think that they're this going is not reverse. This may be the way to shotgun it rather than take your time with it. But this, I mean, at some point in time, someone was, somebody from somewhere was going to come in and be like, well, this has got to go. Given well, the reports about the situation with DCBS and Midtown Comics, I would almost say that this is exactly how they wanted that to play out. They wanted the direct sales market, the comic book shops, to reduce. And let's call it what the, we keep saying direct sales market. Like That's like saying big tobacco or something. No, it's comic book shops. It's comic book shop like you and I ran for 16 years. I dare say that they wanted exactly that, that they wanted the uh, retailers, that these two or three people at the top of the line wanted the retailers to lower their numbers on the floppy comics to give their electronic comics a um, fighting chance, which, as we spoke uh, last week, I had noticed that there are just as many electronic comics, if not a couple more, being released as there were floppy comics hitting the shelf that week. But I didn't think anything of it because we didn't see this coming. Or at least we didn't see this coming this quickly. I don't know. I mean, it's. I guess it's entirely possible. I just think that whoever's making these decisions doesn't understand how the American comic superhero market works. I'll go uh, one further. They don't care. What someone has done... They've looked at manga sales, what they sell in Japan, and what they sell internationally. And then they looked at American comic sales, and they're like, these American comics are dead. In comparison to worldwide manga sales, but not in comparison to the market itself. I agree that something does need to be done, but screwing over the retailers, screwing over the comic shops, and the fans, the core fans, the core base of fans in this matter, in this manner, is not what needs to be done. Right now, I'm looking at a picture of Jim Lee's New 52 Justice League. We know it. The Aquaman, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman, Flash, Cyborg lineup. And what I'm seeing in front of me are not characters that appear in comic books. They're characters that appear in video games. Well, look at it like this. Don't You don't have to do it right now, but I want you to look up and see how much money the last Injustice video game made. Oh, we've talked about this before, and man. Look, the, or look how much the, the last, what's the last DC live action movie? Joker? Yeah. Look how much that movie, and those were single products. Yeah, we've talked about this before. So. That's a that's an absolute no-brainer. However, neither of those would exist in the capacity that they do without comic books. Now, Disney utilizes Marvel Comics. Marvel Comics makes money for two reasons. They're really, really, really spendthrifts when it comes right down to it. They will not give a comic shelf life past the order numbers. If it doesn't meet a certain order number, then we're going away. We don't care if there's fandom for it or not. We'll rework a character and bring him back. Under the COVID rules of comic books, they've become even worse. They're chopping left and right, dropping any and all dead weight. There's creative differences with the writer on Doctor Strange. Okay, we can cancel Doctor Strange and bring him back in, uh, in a few months in time for the movie. But in the meantime, we don't have to be writing a paycheck to the writer and artists on that comic book rather than work through these differences or, you know, call in editorial or negotiate or what have you. The other reason is Disney keeps that as an idea house, just like they keep Blue Sky. I don't think they do. 
I believe I there was that there was that interview did Bendis did a big interview after he had signed the DC and I guess whatever his NDA clause or whatever was over with Marvel just straight up said Disney never called them. No, I don't think they're calling the writers. They, they, in, you, but you, I think you, they, you had if you work for Marvel, you had zero access to anyone on the Disney side at any time. I'm not saying they're you, going... They never, they never called them, and you couldn't get a hold of any of them. At some point yeah, in time, he said it stopped, and that was that. That was the fallout between Kevin Feige and Ike Permolder when he disbanded the Marvel Creative um, Consultant Committee, which included Bendis and Casada, Jeff Loeb, and some other people. I'm, I can't remember everybody on there now, but it, there was definitely Bendis and Casada, And that's when they that Feige basically cut out... Feige Jeff Loeb, Jeff Loeb, I guess. But I mean, Feige was like had it up to his eyeballs with the interference from Ike and the creative community. I have to disagree with you, Albert, because they may not call up the writers and say, hey, what are you working on? But they are pulling directly from what is being published. And you only have to look at Thanos's Black Order, which is a new team that Hickman created for his Secret Wars slash New Avengers slash Illuminati. Yeah, but uh, all they did was they just took the basic concepts of the characters. Any any like they could have just got Hickman in there over the course of ten minutes and an artist over the course of a weekend and done that. Yeah, they're but they didn't do that. Any, they, they're not putting they're not pulling anything rather than just the base idea of any of this. That's the same as as what Stan is saying. They're using yeah. it as a ideal inspiration factory. And the way they seem to be looking at it is the way DC seems to be looking at it or the way Warner seems to be looking at it is they're thinking in short term. Disney thinks in long term, but there is a significant difference between Warner Brothers or what AT&T bought has Warner Brothers and Disney. Disney. Disney's main money is entertainment no matter what. So they have to think in terms of creativity and how to turn that into money. Warner Brothers, the the jewel in the crown of the Time Warner Corporation for the last 25, 30, 40 years, 1980. So yeah, since 1980 has been CNN. AT&T didn't even want CNN. And as a matter of fact, I would say in the next year, Look for CNN to be sold off because they've already gotten rid and abandoned CNN headquarters in Atlanta. No, CNN's not. Did they? Yeah, they got rid of that. They sold the building off. Yeah, they tore everybody out of there. No, CNN, I'm still saying CNN will be around. I just don't know that they're going to continue to belong to Time Warner. Well, at the end of the day, CNN's one of the most important things that ever happened to television. It is, but AT&T doesn't give a damn. Uh, Superman's one of the most important things to happen to American culture. But ask Miss Lifford if she thinks so. Well, he ain't Batman, so. Jesus. <laughs> no, no, he ain't Batman. No, so. I'm not saying you're wrong. Superman is yeah. one of the most important creations of the 20th century. But, yeah, yeah it's Batman. Hey, it's Spider-Man, whatever. No, they, no, this is what I'm saying. It's Superman. They're, they don't look at these. This is going, again, we're going to get into... And y'all can go ahead and start sending the emails about how, are you taking your lithium stand? Are you seeing your psychiatrist on time? Lifford and AT&T does not look at Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman as individuals. They don't appreciate the fact that in their own way, they actually do exist and that they have a very real presence in our reality. Instead, they look at them, like I said earlier, as video game characters. 
things to slap on t-shirts. And when we milk that dry, we'll move on or design or do something to sell to the next generation a completely different product along these lines with no real cultural significance. We've seen that that has been their process for God knows how long now. They do not understand the cultural importance of these characters, and that is a large reason of why they are failing to sell to the public. Disney, above all others, Disney does understand that cartoon characters do, in their own right, exist. Otherwise, they wouldn't fight like crazy every time the trademark law came up to get it delayed another 15 to 20 years to make sure that Mickey cannot be copied across the board. There's golden plaques all around Disney World and in the Disney offices and in the animation offices that say, let's never forget it was all started by a mouse. And so they do treat those characters with an amount of respect. And I know how ridiculous this sounds, but it's important that we recognize that. You know, oh, I, I completely agree with that. I'm talking to the general public who's now currently looking at their iPhones, iPads, or computers, or whatever they're listening to on this, and thinking to themselves, is, is, is this individual talking getting the help he needs? <laughs> Probably not. No, no, I'm not. I mean, for the most part, this yeah. podcast is the extent of it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the help. This is <laughs> therapy. This is what we're looking at. The next three to six months decides the fate of your weekly comics, your monthly comics, at least for DC comics. We've got a person at Disney, and the reaction there is they knew it was coming, and they thought it was going to focus on HBO Max because of their streaming performance, but did not realize that it was going to be as across the board as it was. Well, once, I mean, if you think about it, once D, once they decided to sort of fade out and do away, they're doing away with the DC Universe, a lot of people were probably going to be let go over that. Yeah, that's a large part of the bloodbath right there, is all the people that were involved with the DC Universe streaming online situation. They've been hit and hit probably has hard, if not harder, than any other section. The other rumors regarding the Warner Brothers products is, is if you had a deal in process with HBO or Warner Brothers, that deal is now under the microscope and nothing's confirmed. All bets are off. Well, I'll assume there's other stuff out there that, yeah. you know, since it's already being done, it's no one's going to wake up tomorrow and cancel Justice League Snyder Cut. So I, No, no, no. AT&T is behind the Justice League Snyder Cut. That's their first mistake. <laughs> well, yeah, but they're not looking at it as a mistake, as I understand it. CEO Killer of uh, Warner was a big uh, behind-the-scenes cheerleader for this to happen. That's why it's not even, it's not fair to call it a Snyder Cut. It's going to be the Justice League direct-to-HBO Max streaming movie. It just happens to have the same actors in it. Yeah. So it's really not fair to keep calling this a cut. The only person I haven't heard showing up for your reshoots is Amy Adams. Well, well, there may you... be nothing there to reshoot with her. I mean, she even do anything in Justice League? Well, she showed up and lamented that Superman was dead, and she failed to ask Bruce Wayne why in the hell he didn't buy the Kent farm. Yeah, because I'd assume if if you have an actor like her and she's only has a few short scenes, would you not film that stuff sort of first? Oh yeah, I guess just to sort of get certain things out of the way. I imagine in the aftermath of Carrie Fisher's passing that a lot of companies are uh, are filming 
excess scenes here and there for major projects. And yeah, I'll go ahead and call Justice League a major project. It was a major project. The success and the box office turnout and all, that's that's a completely different situation, different levels of success. I would also say that buckle down and get ready because you're about to hear the Wonder Woman 84 announcement for HBO Max. When does that Mulan thing hit? Uh, Mulan hits September, September. Uh, the first week of... You think they were... They, Oh, they're not going to go toe-to-toe with, no. No, no, you think they'll see how that goes before they do Wonder Woman? That would be the logic in it, and that's what I was saying before. If you remember, I was predicting that Wonder Woman would be available for streaming before Mulan and Black Widow. And I said, oh, well, the reason they that it wasn't is because they were just too scared to do it. They wouldn't, you know, and now they're going to wait and see how Mulan goes. But now I think the actual reason they didn't do it is because of the paperwork involved in what they were getting ready to do from the moment they fired Didio, because what they did this past week with the layoffs, they had to know about and be in preparations for before Didio ever got his walking papers. That was just the first salvo there. And I'm talking yeah. for all of Warner Brothers. I'm just using the uh, firing or the dismissal of Didio as a reference point. I'm thinking that the only reason now Wonder Woman did not beat Mulan to the streaming announcement is because they were busy getting ready to clear house. And, yeah, I would look for Wonder Woman to be on there here shortly. To go back to a point that you were talking about for HBO Max, the video-slash-TV-slash-movie side of things, wasn't there also a rumor that they were looking at the exclusive contracts with Bendis and Tom King and, is it Scott Snyder and whoever DC has exclusive contracts with? Scott Snyder has already said that he's moving on. Now, that doesn't mean he won't work for DC in the future, but it means he's going to concentrate on more properties like Undiscovered Country. He didn't say, oh, I'm leaving DC. He just said that his focus is going to go back to the more personal type stuff. Scott Snyder works best when he's on his own stuff, American Vampire, Undiscovered Country. When we get to the reviews, we'll offer further evidence of that with death metal number four or five or whatever the hell we're on. As for Bendis, and I'm going to toss a few names you may or may not have known was being circulated around out there. Bendis, Wade, King, as for these individuals... Well, Wade did nothing yet. Wade he, well, he doesn't have an exclusive with that DC. Was, that's exactly what I'm saying. His name's been tossed out there in the DC situation too as, oh, they're bringing him Wade as editor-in-chief. No, they're not. That's a rumor. They're not. King. What about King? What are we going to do about King? See, I would have fired him before I fired anybody. Well, <laughs> have you heard of release date for Bat and Cat? No, you know, but I'm, no, but, I'm willing no, to bet Bat and Cat gets released digitally. Did we not have a release date before everything shut down, though? We did, and then they changed it. And then we don't have a release date. But we're assured that it's coming. But they did announce, didn't they, that Generations was going to be canceled. Oh, yeah, Generations is canceled, and they yeah, pretty much announced that, I think, uh, in Detective. Also, there's rumors flying around Bendis was going to be editor-in-chief. No, <laughs> this is not going to be editor-in-chief. But you may also know that some of these individuals had inklings of something going on, because remember that cryptic Bendis statement about leaving or not being on Superman, and you thinking him he was going over to the Justice League? 
Mm-hmm. All of these little cryptic statements are starting to make sense, that things were starting to come down the pipeline. Uh, Wade had even made a comment about people at D.C. wanting Wally to be returned to a place of prominence, Wally West. That seems like, after, especially after this week's issue of Death Metal, that seems like Death Metal's actually building up to that. Also, Flash, with, I think his last name, the writer Williamson on it, and I don't think either of yeah. us is necessarily overly enthusiastic about his flash run no but, but the it wasn't on the list to review i've read this week's issue of flash and it was actually really good all right fair enough but he's uh coming off that with flash number 762 and he gets to write a death metal one-shot special involving all of the flashes together and he's overjoyed about that if i'm putting money on it i'm saying right now that miss filler and the, the esport guy if that's at all a fact and the other two ladies that are taking over the position of publication i'm saying that they want to do away with floppies and the standard delivery of comics as you know them and i think the actual first shots fired in this war against comic book shops was again the earth's going to open up and swallow me, was when they dismissed Didio and dismissing Diamond Comics. Those were the first two major steps. I thought Didio was fired before the COVID and the Diamond Comics thing. Yeah, I'm just using those two as those are the first two open The markers, shots. yes, yeah. 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 Morrison, Grant Morrison's going to take over as editor-in-chief. Okay, that's a rumor, too. And, and the I only think... thing, he's going to come out and say, the only thing that's continuity is Green Lantern and... Doomsday Clock. Everything else is fake. Isn't he the editor at Heavy Metal? Yep. Okay. Whatever that means over there, I don't know. Uh, Grant's not going to be editor-in-chief of he, DC No, Comics. he's not. He's None not. of the names that you're familiar with. All right, I'm going to go ahead and say that that's where the eSports guy is going. Not I don't Dan, think... You know I what? Don't just think just throw Dan Jurgensen there. I would be okay with that, but it's not going to happen either. Look for the next editor-in-chief to be more than likely somebody we have not heard of or are only vaguely familiar with. If they do put a known comic book name in there, it's only going to be to try to quell the reaction of comic book fans, and there'll be a paper tiger. In other words, there'll be somebody that they can say, sign this. If you've seen the movie Casino, if they put a name that comic book fans recognize in the position of editor-in-chief, that'll be because they're a paper tiger. And uh, they'll just have them sign off on the paperwork as the casinos are actually being run by Ace Rosenthal. Well, who gets taken out to the desert and beat with baseball bat? I think that's... Or whatever. Who gets that? I think that's Jeff Johns, Dan Didio, and... No, Johns is sticking around. So, and this is rumor, is that Johns is going to be more of a freelance individual. I'd actually like to see... John's freelances ass over to Marvel and take over Avengers. No, he needs Iron Man first. He already okay, did Avengers. I'm good with that. Hey, well, he can do it again, can he? <laughs> you know, I would actually like to see John's do a Namer book because he's already oh, done. Of course, you would. He's already done two Namer books for DC. He's done Black Adam and Aquaman. Why does he need to do a third? Well, it would be nice instead of ripping off Namer that, you know, somebody actually did something for well, you know Namer. What? He, can, he can take Tom King with him and let Tom King write Namor. Oh, God, no. Let me pluck my eyeballs out now. I, under- I understand that, that Disney's push for synergy with Marvel Comics and its own uh, intellectual property will be seeing Flounder from The Little Mermaid become Prince Namor's permanent buddy companion slash sidekick. 
No, what he's going to do is... Gonna get <laughs> is that what they're calling the Phoenix Force now? Flounder? <laughs> he's going to get a, like a relationship with some woman, and for shorthand, she'll just call him Fish. <laughs> she always refers to him just simply by Fish. Hey, Fish. I'm going to say this about the people that Lifford has got in place. And one other side note is Lifford has put like three women in charge, basically. There's another woman. I can't, I want to say Nancy Springer, but I know that's not right. You know, Marie Javins, she's been in comics forever. And she used to do a lot of stuff at Marvel. And there's a lot of people that like her. The other lady, Michelle, she is the one that's been doing the young adult graphic novels. Perfect setup. My first point is that if it does appear to me also that they are trying to move away from floppies and move into the young adult or the trade graphic novels, the paperback graphic novels, basically go to the bookstores as opposed to... Trying to transform American comics into something that looks more like manga in order to get a bigger share of that market when that's not how American comics work. And we have said well, this they before. Like we have said, yeah, but we have said this before: is these characters will continue, but they will not be the characters as you know them now in floppies. They will be, oh, honest to God, just go pick up some young adult graphic novel. There's one on Raven. There's one on Aquaman. I mean, these characters are unrecognizable to me. There's one on Mara, Beast Boy. They're the characters, but those young adult graphic novels or whatever else the trade that they're going to have they're not going to be the characters that the local comic book store and the floppies have been putting out for the last 50 or 30 years i guess well they're young adult novels yeah Yeah, but that's what i'm saying they want to move into that market and so the only way they can move into that market is to change these characters so that they fit into that market the character's name is Aquaman. He has vaguely the same origin or abilities, but that's it. All these people that, like I said, are screaming, yeah, digital first, yay, yay. And all these people that are going, yeah, we have to get into the young adult market to get to, to keep comic books going, you know. Well, they'll be going, but they won't be what you expect, is what that's, I'm saying. It's the monkey's exactly... paw thing. You got what you asked for, but it's not what you asked for. I believe you're correct in that. Uh, The other end of this is I have always believed and have seen it work. The pie is big enough for every aspect of this. It's A-OK for them to do that and to play around in the young adult market and everything else. But if you forget the cornerstone to what enabled you to do it to begin with, you're going to lose far more than you gain. While I think Miss Lifford and uh, these other women are definitely have earned their positions that they've been in beforehand and that have risen to places of prominence in the most difficult situations imagined in a corporation like Warner Brothers, the Achilles heel here is that they do not understand who these individuals are. They think they're simply cartoon characters. If this goes down, like I fear it's going to go down, in a few years, Superman will be as relevant as Bugs Bunny is right now. For those of you playing at home, Bugs Bunny has not maintained a level of relevancy since the late 80s. Space Jam. Wasn't that the late 80s? No, that was in the 90s. Well, granted, Space Jam. So What about the, when Space uh, Jam 2 90s. comes out? What about when Space Jam 2 comes out? Oh, we'll oh, have to see. Gosh. This depends on what version of Bugs Bunny we get. <laughs> 
yeah, you can't play around with the cornerstones of these. If they would appreciate the cornerstones, if they would appreciate more of the creative process and how to cultivate these characters and understand where the likability in these characters come from, the characters, the DC characters are at a weak point because of a basic lack of understanding of who they are. And that reflects in their box office. Batman is Batman and you have to work overtime to run him. Now, right now I've got Shazam playing on the television and this is a beautiful movie even without sound. It is a gorgeous movie to look at and they got what was appealing about Shazam correct. They changed a lot of things, but well, that, they got the core correct. That character, that uh, that the actor, not character, that actor that plays Shazam is Levi. awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and, and he does. He is perfect for that part. He does kid and adult body real well. Yeah, perfect bit of casting, perfect bit of storytelling. And as Albert has said, Albert, you've said this repeatedly. This comes from the John's Shazam storyline directly. Mm-hmm. Which appeared in the comics, which is where they got the material for this. Right. We can't say that about Batman versus Superman or Justice League. I mean, yeah, they used Doomsday. They used characters from the comics, but in the context that they used them, they were completely and totally useless. They killed Superman in the movie theater. If they had done that and say Superman 2 with Christopher Reeve, could you imagine the public reaction? They killed Tony Stark in the movie theater. I know Tony Stark gave his life, and we're still talking about it. Tony Stark has far exceeded anything that anybody thought the character of Iron Man and Tony Stark would be able to accomplish in, say, 1990 Hmm. as a result of getting him right. They put Superman in the ground in the movie, and nobody, nobody even talked about it. It was just either a given. They're either going to bring him back, or if we never heard from him again, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know. Understanding who these characters are is the core of success with these characters. But unfortunately, Warner Brothers has bigger fish to fry in their own minds at this point, And there's no creative input coming in or out of it. On that point, what have they done so far? You're saying it's on purpose, but maybe. But like every decision they've made so far, I, I think is just basically... I'm saying it's on not purpose. worked out. It has not been successful. Let's put it that way. I'm saying it's on purpose from the top. Well, I'm, I'm not sure about from, that, but if it's not that, they have really messed up. I would be shocked and surprised, and there's no way of knowing the truth of this at all, if once they got the reports from the post-Diamond DC Comics sales, that Miss Filler didn't go into her office, look at that paper, sit down, and smile. Hmm. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I hear I what you're that saying. Every individual that they're going to fill a hole with is of the same mindset. And I'm saying that Killer, the CEO of Warner, is of the same mindset there. They want video game characters. They don't want superhero icons anymore. They want the fast buck. They're missing the lead in this. The DC Comics mucks. appoints new general managers to start in mid-September. I saw that. It's what a mess. And this is a really weird kind of move, given that they give the exact date. Bleeding Cool is reporting that on Friday, the 18th of September, 2020. I mean, that's that's very specific. They will appoint a new general manager. This general manager is supposed to take up Bob Harris's former duties. Bob Harris's title was editor in chief. Mm hmm. Uh, but they're just saying general manager. That does not, that in and of itself does not 
that does not have a good ring to it to me. The yeah, uh, general manager is a yeah. weird title, isn't it? Well, in, in the comic book industry, general manager, a general manager, and Albert uh, can back me up on this. Typically, a general manager is a manager over a region of, say, different units in a certain region, like in the southeast region, general manager over these warehouses that are spread throughout the southeastern states. Or in retail, I'm general manager over this series of restaurants spread throughout the southeastern states. Yeah. They also just do it on store-by-store basis. Usually what that means is like whoever's general manager, it's hard to say that they're a boss of any sorts. Mm -hmm. It's like they're above everyone. Like the general manager would would be above everyone at DC, but they would mostly just be there to make sure that everything runs fine. If they do... Then every any anyone above him that would be all be Warner Brothers and AT and T that continually tell him how to do stuff. And that falls in line with the rumor going about that they're moving somebody from esports and putting them over DC Comics. That would fall right in line with that because this would give them more power than an editor in chief. At the same time, the title of general manager in this instance would tell me that they have no real interest in the creative process rather than the processing of the product and meeting the goals. I don't like the ring of that at all. Nobody has yet been named to the position of general manager, but again, Bleeding Cool is reporting that there will be a general manager appointed to DC Comics on Friday, the 18th of September, 2020. In additional news, rumor has it that Rain Wilson is eagerly campaigning for the job to assistant to the general manager of DC Comics, and we'll keep you updated on that as well. Rain Wilson, the actor? Dwight from The Office. It's an, it's an office joke. <laughs> that was I'm sorry. Office. Yes. I'm yes. Sorry. I appreciate you both laughing, Albert. <laughs> Albert, who got it especially. I, I appreciate Well, you both. should have said Dwight Schrute. <clears throat> yeah. No, no. You see, that's too obvious. We have a highbrow audience. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she laughs so, at that. You can yeah. just cut that. Well, you can just cut funny. that. You can cut that laugh out and put it in after your office joke. <laughs> yeah, that, that shit's funny, but the other stuff, no. Nah. <laughs> two more things before we go ahead and get to our reviews for the week we can now definitely confirm that mary jovins and michelle wells are editors in chief of dc comics not publishers but editors in chief of dc comics one week before dc fandom online event starts and we have two new editors and chiefs of dc comics replacing bob harris also in addition to all of the layoffs and again our hearts go out to everybody affected by the layoffs in addition to that dc comics has just announced that they are canceling the titles teen titans young justice suicide squad Hawkman, and Kelly Sue DeConnick has been quoted as saying that her last issue of Aquaman will be number 65, but that may not be the last issue of Aquaman, just Kelly Sue DeConnick's last issue. So again, to recap, 
Teen Titans, Young Justice, Suicide Squad, Hawkman, and John Constantine Hellblazer are all ending in November. Aquaman may or may not be. We just have to wait and see. It looks like we're going to be in for a hell of a ride here. So now we're going to move on and we're going to review DC Comics for the week of August 12th, 2020. You ready? That's what I'm here for. Let's start off with Wonder Woman, number 760. Writer Mariko Tamaki, artist Michael Janin. I thought it was far better than the 700th issue and the issues previous to the 700th. I thought it was a nicely written, fair Wonder Woman story. Nothing to break down any barriers, but still an enjoyable read. And clearly we're setting up either a disgruntled teen or a bad guy supervillain with the young woman that's hanging around Diane. I mean, clearly she's behind some of this. But it was an okay comic. The plot's fine. I just sort of get tired of seeing Maxwell Lord and stuff. Even with, even if he's just there to say, hey, Maxwell Lord's not the one doing this. But uh, it's very good art. The plot's okay and the writing's okay. It's nothing. The plot is pretty much people are randomly getting mind-controlled. Yeah. And when they're getting mind-controlled, they're tearing stuff up. They're causing public unrest and, and hurting people and not meaning to. They think they're doing the correct thing because they're suffering from hallucinations, similar to the same way Maxwell Lord brought Superman under his control before Wonder Woman killed him, but that was pre-New 52. How often have we seen Maxwell Lord? What are you reading that you're seeing Maxwell Lord? I don't show? know. I just don't. You're just tired of Maxwell Lord. Yeah, I, I just think when he shows up, they just... There was a really good comic called Justice League Generation Lost. Yeah. Which dealt with pretty much the old Giffen Dematius team. And Maxwell Lord had sort of erased the planet's memory of them and they were having to deal with it. It was like a bi-weekly book that came out for a year. Like ever since that book, they've never really tried to do anything interesting with Maxwell Lord. Yeah, no, I'm in agreement with you there. Wonder Woman's a fair story. I think it's better than it was. I just gave it threes across the board. I gave the writing and dynamic a three. The art I gave a four. I, I really like the art. I did. I should have gone higher on the art. So, yeah, I'll I'll change it to art with a four. Yeah, the art, the art could be a five. I'm not too keen on the coloring. It almost has, like, who am I thinking of? It's almost colored like, like Adam Hughes' work is colored. Hmm. So overall, we're both giving it 3.3s. Yeah. I, I don't know that I'd go up to a 5 on the art, but I did like it. I did like I would probably get, give the 5 an art if it was colored a little differently. Okay. But the Adam Hughes looking coloring style, it doesn't work for this book because it doesn't make it look like Adam Hughes. The Green Lantern, Season 2, Number 6, writer... Grant Morrison, who, once again, is not going to be editor-in-chief of DC Comics. Art by, art by Liam Sharp. Never short of imagination. It does feel like an epic mesh of galactic weirdness all over the place. But more important than that, Hal is true to form. Hal is Hal. Regardless of what someone may feel about the plot and the very thick writing, I guess that's the way to describe it. Even though this issue's lighter than the ones that came before it, Morrison writes a great Hal. Yes, he really does. He understands how he gets to the core of how. We see that he doesn't make apologies for Hal's weaknesses or character flaws. In fact, he kind of plays through with them. The womanizing aspect, the pig-headedness, the complete good cop attitude that Hal Jordan exerts 
he plays right through it. I really do enjoy the Grant Morrison issues, but I also understand that like our good friend and DC contributor, Tim Bryant, I do understand where this can be a little off-putting at the same time. I can see how this can be insanely off-putting to someone, especially once you get down to the fact that every issue has some goofy alien language. They just don't let the ring translate and be done with it. We have to read the alien language as the alien language. But it gives a different sense to it. And straight up, the book is weird. The book is freaky. The book is out there. But it's Hal Jordan. Yeah, but Hal is is Hal. I gave the writing a four, the art a four, the dynamic a five. My score was 4.3 on this issue. Uh, that was my. That was actually my writing too. I was going to give the writing is is heavy. It's it's very heavy handed writing. Art is the only reason I gave it a four. There's there's a a couple of pages here and there in this book where you don't notice those pages are lesser pages than the other ones. You, you notice it because the other pages are so much better than those pages. You can tell those are the pages he probably rushed on or just had to redo or do something on, but. Those two things, the writing and the art, art fit so well together that it gives a dynamic vibe. And it's got wonderful coloring and wonderful inking. And like the bad guys have sort of a Simon Bisley look to them. Yes, they yeah. do. Especially the way that they're designed, especially their, their weapon arms, which I assume is, would have to be on purpose. Definitely, definitely. I, I don't doubt that. Okay, my question is this. When Hal wakes up and sees the alien nurse, who is very much alien in appearance multiple arms no no it, yeah just just a real alien and he responds didn't we date nurse so-and-so didn't we date mm-hmm. okay that leads to this question who's the biggest womanizer or who's the leading womanizer is it hal jordan or is it namor what it, it would have to be hal but I also, so you, too. also you remember like when uh you know that horrible frank miller dark knight strikes again book yeah wasn't Hal living off planet married to some alien in that thing? Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, I mean, some it was a ring construct, wasn't it? Oh, is that what it was? I couldn't remember. Yeah, it seems like it's been so long Maybe ago. But it's, what, it's probably what that was. Yeah, yeah. Something he like was that. a he himself was a protozoic ring construct with another protozoic ring construct. Well, pretty much for people wondering the plot of this issue, and it's a it's a fairly self contained. I mean, it's part of an overall arc. But it's a fairly one-off thing. That Hal's in a hospital, which is a space station of some sorts. The evil bad guy group, which looked like Simon Bisley crap from the nineties on purpose. Yeah. Uh, they pretty much attack the hospital. With my question, who's the leading womanizer, Hal or Namor? You and I both kind of think that Emma would just drop her tuna fish and walk right over to the green pastures if Hal showed up in the Marvel universe. Is that correct, Albert? She, she couldn't resist herself. I doubt that. <laughs> Sandra, do you have an opinion? <laughs> How who? <laughs> After about 48 hours, he'd look at Namor and he goes, this woman named Sue, that's the woman you've been chasing the whole time? <laughs> Here, let me take care of this for you. <laughs> we had breakfast this morning. <laughs> Like I said, Hal who? <laughs> Jordan, don't you forget it. The Batman's Grave, number nine. Writer Warren Ellis, artist Brian Hitch. Probably one of the truest to form Batman stories I've well, ever seen. Well, I, I guess it's just the last thing Warren Ellis is ever going to do for DC. It, it's at least good. When I read it, I just pretended like it wrote itself. So, 
I want more of this young Batman, and I want more of it from this team. He's clearly not in continuity. He's clearly an updated Batman who got his start, say, pretty close to more modern times because he's got drones and everything else working with him. But he's a very human Batman. Like when he hits the car on his back, when he hits that cop car, and he's like, I can't feel my legs. And then he moves his legs and says, oh, good soldiers, and gets up. Alfred's wonderfully written in this. It's a joy to read. You you don't know which way it's going to go. The name of it is The Batman's Grave. And by the end of this, since this is not in continuity, Batman, he could very well end up in the grave. We're saying it's out of continuity, but it could be some type of pseudo-incontinuity thing to some extent. I would imagine at the end of this, Batman ain't using drones no more. The drones get wrecked pretty bad and blow up and start blowing stuff up that ain't supposed to be blown up. No, well that, that's what I'm saying. He's sloppy in this, but he's yeah. still Batman. He's he's learning. There's a learning curve here. He's a much more human Batman than we typically get. Now, I'm not diminishing what Tinian's doing in the main Batman book at all. Like I said, I look forward to that comic. But this is a much more human sort of Batman and a human story especially given the banter between him and Alfred and him and Commissioner Gordon as well. I gave it fives across the board. Brian Hitch's artwork is, it just gets better. Because ever since Ultimates 2, I don't know if it's, he just hasn't had a good inker or colorist or something. His art never really got that good again. This book is real close to it. Yeah, It it ain't quite there due to the coloring. Because if you go back and look at, especially the first Ultimates, people just don't color comics like that, period. They didn't no. back then, and they still don't, and they, and they, and they really should. No, they really, but yeah. this is close to it. This yeah. is, everything's very clean. It's not as rough as his more modern stuff's been. He's really done his best work on this he's, that he's done on a good long while. And your score were fives? Yeah, I'll give it a straight yeah. five. I did read some DC stuff that was not on the list. Oh, go ahead. Tell us what did uh, you... We'll I read a, Superman. Yeah, I read Superman too. Boy, is that book a piece of garbage. I'm not even sure whose book it is. What a, I, I what a waste of what a waste of Kevin McGuire. Yes, it was. Oh. Yes, it was. I was in the middle of it, and I was thinking, wait a minute, what book am I reading? Not all this artwork is Kevin McGuire anyway. No, they're traipsing back and forth. Most of it is, but certain things, like there's a big splash page with a bunch of characters on it at the front, where it has like Director Bones and everybody. That wasn't him. You love the way that conversation was casually going on while Supergirl was battling a horde of aliens that apparently were invading her. There was so, there was so much dialogue in this comic, and none of it mattered. Well, that's it. Look, if it's relevant dialogue, it's fine. Fill up the page with it. The problem is, this is not relevant dialogue. Bendis is is no Claremont. I think Bendis is getting paid by the word, and he's just making words up now. But yeah, Superman is a heavy pass. What else did you read? Detective Comics 1025. It's called Joker War Collateral Damage on the cover. It's not a super heavy tie-in. It's an okay issue. It's sort of a throwaway issue when you read it. Tomasi does a good job on it. More than likely, if you're a fan of Kenneth Rockefort, yeah, he does the art. And so, if you're you're a fan of Rockefort, he does a great job on the art. But it's mostly just sort of a one-off issue that a lot of Batwoman in it. Detective's been solid. I just missed this issue. Yeah. Like, it, like you could skip this issue if you haven't read it. Rockefort, he's a great artist, but mostly it's like, hey, he gets to draw Batwoman and Batman, and he gets to draw a big Bat tank. That's the extent of it. Flash 759, which is 
an improvement over what the book's been being to me. Very psyche is sort of trapped in the Speed Force. But the plot of this arc is them gearing up for, I guess, the writer's finale. So they're bringing in all the speedsters. Few books released by DC this week, but they're pretty solid books so far. But let's see if we can't break that streak with Dark Knight's Death Metal number three, writer Scott Snyder, artist Greg Capullo, and Jonathan Glapian. I'm going to break down and admit, I did like the editorial box that told us to make up our own reason for Batman hugging a starfish. <laughs> I did like that because, you know, it didn't matter. Like, eh, just whatever. Just make up what you want. Yeah, for the reason Batman's hugging, there's a little asterisk in the box, and it says, for the reason Batman's hugging a starfish, see Justice League, or make up your own excuse. (laughs) And I was like, all right. But that also did give me the sense that Scott Snyder is just kind of flipping everybody off. It's like, I can't believe you're continuing to pay $5 for this book. I really do feel, I mean, he's self-aware. He's very self-aware. He's laughing his butt off somewhere. Yeah. What this comes down to is, given all the horrible news this week, and again, God help all those losing their jobs, it's never a good thing. Given all that horrible news and everything else about DC Comics, Dark Knight's death metal suddenly seems very timely and utterly appropriate in all the wrong ways. It's not the end of the DC universe that I would have wanted, given what AT&T is doing to it, but it's so poorly handled and conceived that it, it could very possibly be the end of the DC universe that we deserve. I gave the writing a one. No, I didn't. I gave the writing a two because of the editorial box gag. I mean, you know, credit for credit is due, man. Did they explain what that machine Superman was hooked up to did? Yes, I'll explain it. Let me me get through this. I gave the writing a two. I gave the art a four. I gave the dynamic a zero. So the score on this is two from me. Yes, they explained what it was. Mr. Miracle created it, but he didn't really create it. Batman Darkseid, I can't believe I'm saying this. Batman Darkseid ripped it out of Mr. Miracle's mind, designed it, and put Superman on it. And what it was designed to do is every time he stopped operating it, while he was under every prism of kryptonite from multiple realities imagined, is that it would decay and cause his flesh to give in to antimatter or anti-life which is why his arm, Superman's arm, looks like Darkseid's arm Well, I knew his arm was staying up, yeah. and they called it a death drive, and they explained all the Kryptonian yeah. stuff. Okay, I guess I just... It, that's it. And every time he removed an aspect of his person from it, those cells would die. So apparently, at one point, he did move his right hand from it, or his right arm from gotcha. it. And we just didn't see it. But the idea that it can turn Superman into a Darkseid, into a Darkseid, like into a zombie or into a vampire. Darkseid is an individual. Things like this just completely, until clearly Batman's dead, but operating somehow through the um, death ring, the black yeah. ring lantern ring, because nothing Darkseid did to him, Batman Darkseid did to him, has any effect. And now we've got whatever the hell the Batman who laughs is chasing Wally, Jay, and Barry through what's left of the speed for. I just, this is a mess and a half. In all honesty, this this corresponds a little too frightening well 
with current real-life situations going on at DC Comics. The, the one thing I'm interested in this comic that happened at the very end is Luther and whatever Infinity Stones Lobo gathered for him. <laughs> yeah, the death metal. In the whatever boxes, that, whatever yeah. the, whatever's in those little boxes, I assume is some type of knockoff Infinity Stone stuff or, yeah. or Lantern Rings or something. When Lobo started to open it, and Luther said, "No, no, don't spoil the surprise," and it was glowing an orange color from the box. I didn't really. I should have thought. No, Infinity it's green. St- it was glow- or it was green. green. Oh yeah, it was green. I should have thought Infinity Stones, but what I thought instead was, ah, plot device. <laughs> eh. What do you think of it? This issue was better than the last issues, I think. Oh, yeah, I'll uh, give it that. Like, I still give the art a four, because art, even if everything else was beyond zero, it's still fantastic art. So art, I got a four, dynamic, I got a three, and writing, I got a two. Okay, fair enough. It's better than the first two, but man, this I don't see any reason for you to waste your money on this book. It hurts, really. Although now, I'm incentivized to read it all the way through, which we're going to do anyway and keep reviewing it because Scott Snyder has just made us very aware that he's aware of himself and aware of what's going on in the book and apparently just doesn't give a damn. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to more editorial boxes. Oh, what did you think of Bat Submariner when he showed up? <laughs> what what page was that on? I'm just <laughs> I'm just trying to aggravate Sander there. Let's move on to Image Comics. Image Comics this week released Big Girls number one, writer Jason Howard, artist Jason Howard. I believe I said that the preview to this book last week looks like a fetish comic. Uh, I'd like to amend that statement. This is a fetish comic book serving as a thinly veiled cover for what Jason Howard thinks is the root of all of the world's problems. I'm really not sure how anyone at Image thought that this was a good idea. Have you ever heard of Attack on Titan? Yeah, but that's a completely, that's a different setup. Look at it like this. Robert Kirkman's Invincible was just him doing Dragon Ball. And this is just this guy doing Attack on Titan. Well, I actually enjoyed Invincible because I thought it was more his take on Son of Superman. I'm not all that familiar with Dragon Ball. I mean, I, I recognize the characters. Then you should get familiar with it. Well. It's only one of the most important comic books of the 20th century. Yeah, okay, I'll get right on that. Um, well, it is. It is, though. I'm, I'm dead serious. Invincible? <laughs> no, Dragon Ball. Oh, Dragon, Dragon Ball. Ball. Okay. Yeah, right. Big Girls number one, I was just, I read it all the way through. I gave it an overall score of two simply because Jason Howard both wrote and did the art in it. And I always at least want to recognize when somebody goes to that amount of effort to put something out. But unlike other websites and a couple of other critics, I this is not worth your money. I don't think it's worth your money. I didn't find anything. It just didn't grab me, and I don't think it's going to grab the majority of the reading public. I was kinder to it. Pretty much what the plot is, is someone doing experiments or people just born this way? Or maybe it's both. I don't remember. I'm not sure. It seemed like they were doing experiments on, on them at some point, but it may have just been something like people were born. What it is, they're going to turn into giants. They're just going to keep growing and grow, growing the giants. Not people, men. The women do too, but the women are different. Now, I thought they genetically modified her. I thought oh, she did was... they? Okay. Yeah. I thought with her it was a choice, 
but the it's the men that are the problem. Yeah, and you know, the, what is when the men become giants, they end up turning into monsters. The big girl, the the main character, the woman of the main character, who's another giant, she's part of this task force that's supposed to go out and stop them. She's protecting this particular city. What was your score on it? Well, I gave the art a two and writing a dynamic a three. But okay. issue one, I thought was not bad. I just don't like it was too much Attack on Titan to me. I don't know if it's going to hold my interest too much longer, though. I am not as knowledgeable about Attack on Titan as you are, but I have seen a couple of episodes. And when I read it, other than the giants, that was about the that was about the only correlation I could make yeah. between what I knew of Attack on Titan and that. You gave it a two point seven. I gave it a two. I'm not feeling it for Big Girls number one, unfortunately. Sorry, Jason. IDW. Judge Dredd, False Witness, number one and two is out. Writer Brandon M. Easton and artist Kai Zama. I I felt that this was a return to what Dredd was meant to be, an entertaining format for getting several poignant socioeconomic points across to the reader, whether or not the reader realizes it. Obvious points and more subtle points as well, all dressed up in Judge Dredd-level violence and mega city one storylines and i really did feel that whether or not you're familiar with dread these two issues are solid i think it they promise the same for the rest of the series i was surprised to find myself giving this fours across the board given the last few judge dread entries i just wasn't feeling well me and you read two different comics then oh really i don't care for this book i've read a lot of the 2000 ad stuff these IDW Dread books, they just don't do it for me at all. This is the first IDW Dread book that I thought was at all engaging on any level. There were broad jokes that everybody completely ignores because it's a Judge Dread comic, but th- also there were some minor points coming across for me, and I liked the artwork in it. I thought the artwork was real well. Yeah, I mean, I like the artwork. I just didn't. It just doesn't. You just not feel. I don't it. know if it's just because it's. Maybe it's just like a mental thing where the fact that it's IDW and not an actual British comic just yeah. flips a switch in my head off. I just can't get into these IDW Dread comics. Uh, okay, point given on that. You can definitely feel the difference between this and the 2000 AD stuff and the original Judge Dread with Judge Hershey and Death, yeah, the classic Judge Dread stuff. It definitely feels or and looks different. It even reads differently. If this is where we are with Judge Dredd, I'm liking what they're doing here as opposed to what they've done in the last few entries from IDW for Judge Dredd. But I definitely defer to you when it comes to Judge Dredd. I gave the art a three and writing a dynamic two. Okay. Uh, so you're at 2.3 on that. I'm I'm at a four. I'm tempted to take it down to a three overall. I, I really did like the art. So take that for whatever it's worth. But yeah, I defer to Albert when it comes to Judge Dredd. Now, comic books' last best hope. Marvel Comics. We're all doomed. (laughs) Start off real quick. Star Wars Darth Vader number 11. Continuing the situation with Padme. This is not issue number 11. This is issue number four. Start off real quick. Star Wars Darth Vader, issue number four, continuing the situation with now all of Amidala's surviving handmaidens. Writer Greg Pak, artist Raphael Inko, 
I gave it fours across the board. I'm enjoying the storyline. I think it's solid. You get to see Darth Vader take out a creature that showed up in Phantom Menace. The attention to detail that's paid in this and not just the writing, but the artwork knocks it out of the park. So yeah, I'm so long as Greg packs on Darth Vader, it's a no brainer to me. My score was four. Albert. That's a fair score. And I'll, I'll give it that score because it is a good comic. It's a very good comic and they do a good job with having the Vader book connect to the prequels and, you know, having everything line up good. I just, I don't know. I wish they'd stop trying to make Vader conflicted about all this stuff in any any fashion at all. He's not conflicted except when it comes to the area of Padme. He cannot be turned by anybody other than his son, Luke. That's the outline here. If he's got an Achilles heel, it's Luke or Padme. And we could go ahead and add Leia to that list, but since he wasn't aware of Leia's existence until the end of The Return of the Jedi, it's fair to just skip that point. But... What you're seeing here... He knew her. No, he didn't know she was his daughter. Yeah, he did. Not till the end of Jedi. No, he, he could... I don't care what anyone wrote in, a, in some book or comic down the line. He knew that was his daughter. Especially your feelings for sister. No, that's standard continuity. That's movie continuity. He was not aware that he had a living daughter until... He was probing for Luke in the Emperor's throne room as he was walking around, and Luke was hiding under one of the collapsed overhangs in the throne room. Hmm, for real? Yeah, yeah that's the movie. That's the movie. And then he makes the statement after he gathers that information from Luke's emotions. He says, if you cannot be turned, then perhaps she can. Yeah, but Leia would have been Force-sensitive. He would have been able to feel her presence. Leia wasn't even aware she was force sensitive. Her yeah, powers it doesn't were, matter if she didn't know. Her I powers, mean, no, her powers and abilities were manifesting them ways in that her life demanded her ability to influence people. Is that her where the British actual accent ability came to from? Leave. Well, the British accent came and went. The official in canon excuse for that is that she was mocking Grand Moff Tarkin. I don't know what the official in canon excuse for it in the Christmas special was. Cocaine? Yeah. Well, yes, but <laughs> you can forgive this situation because Vader's basically having to fight six or seven individuals that look almost identical to Padme. Okay, whatever. Yeah. I said I liked it. All right, good enough. Flip the pages, next comment. Flip the pages, next comment. <laughs> Immortal Hulk, number 36. Al Ewing and artist Joe Bennett. Man, it really made me feel sad for Hulk. I hope Al Ewing is able to finish Immortal Hulk before Marvel kills comic books. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's Pamela Lifford at DC trying to kill comic books, and Marvel could give a damn what. I don't think she approves the 5 billion variant covers all these Marvel books have. The the variant the 7, covers. 7,000 Marvel relaunches that we get every other month. I don't think she's And they've been doing that right? too long. I mean, never mind that DC does it too. But, you know. Not like Marvel does it. No, that's right. Marvel does it right. Huh, but back to, back to Immortal Hulk. <laughs> I really did feel bad for Hulk in this. It was yeah, like I felt watching, bad for him too. Yeah. It was like watching people taunt a wounded animal. And you're not able to do anything about it. That just speaks to Ewing's mastery on this book. It really does. Because, yeah, I was, I'm, my feelings were somewhat hurt about the situation. I thought it was great. I loved it. Yeah. 
in my opinion, it's rightfully at the top of the heat. When it, and the, we, and the, at the end of the last issue, Hulk was helping some people build a house. This whole issue was like, hey, it's Hulk. You know, he saved us. He's a good guy now, helping around town. And then the last few pages, the leader who is taking over Rick Jones's body does something to Hulk and makes him explode and he kills people. So this issue was the follow-up of that with Alpha Flight show. Or are they still called Alpha Flight? No, I think they're Hulkbusters or Gamma Flight. Oh, Gamma Flight. So I gave it fives. I see. Yeah, I, yeah, this is this is fives. Uh, yeah. Joe yeah. Bennett's he's doing fantastic work on this book. Oh yeah, Joe Bennett's art is outstanding on it. Each of the covers, Alex Ross covers, just gorgeous. Really, this is top of the heap when it comes to Marvel comics. When it comes to any superhero comic, really. If only it was as good as Bendis' Superman. If only. <laughs> That's a real comic right there. It's a real confusing comic. <laughs> and now we move on to Marauders number 11, writer Jerry Dugan and art by Stefano Caselli. Yes. This book shifts into the first gear of Kick-Ass. What do you think, Albert? It's a very odd thing. Marauders has been a great book. It could be like the second best X-Men book behind X-Men itself. So, I think so, too. But this issue is odd. Like, it's a great issue and everything, but I just wish they would have did more with Kitty. What like, you... her, her explanation of not, of, of not coming back is it's fine, and it works, and it makes sense, but it seems like they could have done a whole lot more with that than what they did. Well, you and I were thinking that it was some big thing that somehow Lockheed was interconnected with this. He was, just not nearly to the level we were thinking. I was expecting that we would have to go through a X-Men level explanation yeah. for the yeah for the entire thing. But instead, the answer is right there in front of you. It's just something Nightcrawler says that rings a bell with Emma and Emma figures it out. I'm, I'm fine with that and it works. Yeah. It makes sense. It just seemed like it should have been because we had to wait so many issues to bring her back, I guess, or we yeah. felt like forever. It just seemed like it should have been a little bit bigger than what it was, but I'm not really upset or mad about it. It's still a great comic. I agree. And it's my favorite X book right after the main X-Men book. Jerry Dugan's doing a wonderful job on this. The art was very nicely done. Very nicely handled in this issue. And uh, the only problem I had, and, I, and it's not really a problem, is Lockheed looking bigger to you? He does look, he doesn't look like he's something that could sit on someone's arm or shoulder. Yeah. That just may be an art thing. Yeah, that could be. He's definitely bigger than Paul Smith's Lockheed. Yeah. From back in the day. Sandra, do you have any opinions on Lockheed? <laughs> What's your view on Purple Dragons? No, thanks. I forget who did it. Did they retcon something about Lockheed? Like well, one he time supposed he, to be... Yeah, in... one time he talked, but yeah, I think they wrote that right out. We do not refer to that anymore. Lockheed is just Kitty's dragon now, which is great. Also, do y'all ever wonder if Lockheed's related to Figment the dragon from Epcot? No, I never wonder that. They look a hell of a lot alike. <laughs> well, maybe Disney should sue itself. No, I mean, look, we could have Figment appear in the X-Books. I thought fi there was a Figment already in, well, not in the X-Books, but didn't Marvel do a Figment comic? Yes, Marvel did do a Figment comic book. I got to tell you, the popularity on that, uh, it doesn't wane because I recently sold a variant. I think it was like 
one in 25 variant of the figment comic for around 50 or 60 bucks. Well, you know, I, I remember that You're book. Was fairly, that book was fairly popular for what it was. Oh yeah. It wasn't a bad book. I mean, they kept trying to recapture it. I, there's, they had a good idea. They, I just don't think, uh, and I'm not just talking about figment figment was popular and figment worked. And then they tried to do big thunder mountain and they wanted to do others. I don't think that's a bad idea. I just don't think they had the proper, talent on it to come up with the right idea for each of these things in turn as they went down. But no, I'm not kidding about that, Sandra. Figment has a cult following pre-COVID. On rare occasions, he would come out in the park and the line to get to him would stack up quick. And again, this is a character that is simply indigenous to Epcot. You Hmm. never see him at the Magic Kingdom. You never see him anywhere else. And for the most part, the only place you can get Figment items is Epcot. Both Figment and Dreamcatcher, who technically doesn't exist anymore, have big cult followings. And that wraps up our review of Marauders number 11 from Marvel Comics. (laughs) My score on it was straight fives. I'm all about Emma and Kitty kicking butt. I gave the writing an art of four and dynamic a five. Excellent. Now, Sandra, I know you said you were going to stop Empire, but you didn't, did you? No, I didn't. Empire, number five, mercifully, just one more issue before this whole thing is over with. Writer Al Ewing, who we've all praised repeatedly for Immortal Hulk, and Dan Slott, who was okay on Spider-Man for a while. (laughs) Artist Valerio Shitty. Uh, Just okay? Dan Slott was just okay? uh, Well, the more more Dan Slott does, the the less enamored I am with him. Mm. Uh, If we get him off Iron Man, I may I may go back to really liking his superior oh Spider-Man. God. And please get him off Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four is just boring at the moment. But yeah, they well, could yes, that's too. exactly right. This issue was not as mind-numbingly bad as the first four issues and the majority of the tie-ins, but I still don't think it's worth the price. Some reviewers praising this issue, and I think it's just that they were so used to this plant crap storyline that when they're finally presented with an actual low-end superhero scene, they just lose it. I'm encouraging all of you, don't lose it. Don't lose your money. Buy something you'll enjoy instead. It's got a couple of good scenes in it. The art, the art's top-notch. But it's still the Avengers fighting weeds. There's no way around it, and this is just, there's nothing new here. The thing about big event books, they need to at least be sort of fun to read. Because you got yeah. all these characters doing all this stuff, and you got this big bad guy, and, and this book is just not fun to read. No, it's not. And I think the reason people are saying, oh, it's finally turning a corner here is because you had that scene with the thing in it, mm-hmm. where the thing gives a Ben Grimm speech, knocks the snot out of evil dead plant She-Hulk, which in and of itself kind of makes my eye twitch and calls himself the immortal thing. Uh, I get it. I get it. You know the title of the Hulk's comic book and you applied that to your dialogue. That was just, let me go do something else now. I thought that was a pretty good scene with the Hulk, but what the heck? Really? She-Hulk can punch through Sue's force fields? Well, zombie dead plant She-Hulk can how how is that possible and make ben graham bleed blood which i didn't 
I didn't think was possible. I don't. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen Ben well, Grimm bleed blood at his base. We've seen when his outer layer of rocks are knocked off, and it's lumpy flesh. Now, yeah. I'm sure that flesh is much more like hide, really tough, thick leather hide, than it is flesh. I sort of explained it in my head, Cannon. It first showed up, he looked lumpy. Yeah. What that is, that was just like fresh skin. So after a while, it just sort of hardens. There so. you go. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's more minor to me rather than people punching through Sue's him bleeding all over the place. Well, Sue had the nosebleed. Whenever Sue gets a nosebleed, you know she's at maximum capacity. And Sue was also trying to open up a air bubble or an invisible bubble in her brain to kill her because she admitted to that, you know, God help me, I've already tried that. They had to up the ante here. They know that everybody's dragging on it, and what they needed was they needed people to rally behind Ben Grimm. And that's great. I'll rally behind Ben Grimm all day long. It still doesn't justify the cost of this comic book and that the Avengers and the Fantastic Four are in a life-or-death battle with Salad. It's just well, not... The thing. Those characters are boring, and then when they introduced the Scroll Queen, it was a good last page for that one issue, and that was sort of it. Like it didn't really. Yeah, we're we're about to bring the scroll queen. You know, it just was like, eh, whatever. Okay, I'm gonna have to go with Stan on this one because these plant people characters, they just don't make very good villains, and the dialogue or the quote unquote zingers that they use on them. Your final destiny as fertilizer. Yeah. Drown him in the sap. You got lame Uh, ass faker swordsman showing up. Acting like he's somebody. He took out T'Challa. Exactly. Well, no, there's one more issue. (laughs) There's one more issue. I assure you, T'Challa has not been taken out. Uh, Oh, next issue, he'll beat Thor in a fist fight or something. Yeah, yeah, there we go. It'll be Thor. (laughs) Thor and Galactus will show up from the Donny K. Now, then he'll beat beat Reed at chess. Oh, and y'all saw in the, uh, the armor that Tony's designing is for Reed. And yeah. y'all saw in the sketchbook that it stretches. Oh my God! <laughs> I'm, you know, that's an action figure advertisement for an action figure that'll never get made. I don't know how this got this far. Since when has the Cree accusers been able to depose their emperors? Since Carol got that hammer. Don't y'all miss the Carol? that through a, a, what, was it one of the Super Scrolls or something, just launched them into space and then hovered in space to watch him die? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I miss, I miss that Carol. I miss the Carol that had an alcohol problem, and the simplest solution was often the right one. I've got the power of a sun, and I can blow holes in everything. <laughs> You know, rather than standing around holding a hammer and have her wardrobe change colors, there's so much more to Carol Danvers. She has such a rich, outstanding history. Yeah, I'm familiar with the situation about giving birth to her own son. Yeah, I know all about that messed up Avengers stuff. But that aside, Carol Danvers is a hardcore, outstanding character, and she was before they ever gave her the title of Captain Marvel. Did you say giving birth to her own son? I screwed that up, but what it is is her son somehow uses her to give himself birth into their reality, and that's a whole messed up Avengers arc. That would require Van Plexico, David Woods, and Joe Crow 
and a four and a half hour podcast for them to explain it. You mean it David was, Wright? And David Wright. Yes, I mean David Wright. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, I mean Van Plexico, David Wright, and Joe Crow. Aside from that, Carol's so much more, and her standing around holding that hammer for the majority, for the entirety of this event, just absolutely kills me. It made no sense to me. This is just some character fluffing, and I just, like, no. Does it bother anybody else also that the emperor of the Kree Scroll Alliance can be taken out by having a BDSM mask placed over his head? God. I have a real problem with that. I mean, Hulkling, even before he was emperor of everything, how in the hell are you going to get a mask on Hulkling's head? If you're a shape changer, I guess you could. <laughs> I guess I you could know. look like anybody. You could look like somebody that would. Hulkling would let you put a mask over his head. <laughs> Still, there's several problems if you stop to think about the situation. I gave the writing a two, the art of four, and the dynamic a one. My score on Empire number five is 2.3. It's not worth your money. We're the same on art at four, but I gave writing a one and dynamic a one. I'm with Albert. Okay. I'm four-ish, maybe 3.5 on the art, but... Art was great. Art was but great. the rest of it was yeah. just like, oh my gosh, no. That art is no. wasted on this book. Yeah, I want Valeria on uh, one of the X books. Y'all didn't read Empire Avengers, did you? No, I did not read Avengers nor Captain America. Okay, well, I just want to point out, in a book that was drawn by Carlo Magno, who did the art for the fantastic Zdarsky Invaders book, which happened to star Namer. In that book, they finally, finally brought out Plant Man. So there, y'all were, no, I'm not kidding. They brought out Plant Man, just like I said, except, of course, he's... Then why isn't the situation over? <laughs> I know, I know. Well, he's siding with the, with the plant people. Oh, naturally. So, yeah. Well, let yeah. Me, okay, before we move on, let me point this out. Poison Ivy can be a scary-ass villain. Am I correct? Not really. Yeah, I mean... She can be. Yeah, she well. really can be. She has been in the past. I mean, we've seen her do some, some very startling things and all. And I think what they're just assuming is, we're just all supposed to assume that these are Poison Ivy-level villains, but we're not seeing it because of the rate that the heroes are cutting through them and the fact that they never stop, they're, they're, they're just zombies. They're plant zombies. And I have no interest in this. But anyway. Which, weirdly enough, are all drawn humanoid-like. And I don't course. get that. Why would they even be humanoid? They're plants. Didn't they see M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening? Wasn't that it? With Marky was, Mark? Was there plants in that? It was all about the plants. Oh, uh, well, I guess. Was it called The Happening, Albert? No, <laughs> the happening. <laughs> that I was think the South Park. Was the happening not a Nick Cage movie? No, the no, happening that was. was South I think. Park I think episode. the happening was the Mel Gibson movie. No, no, that was Signs. Oh, okay. There was a South Park M Night Shyamalan send up called The Happening. Oh gosh, is this another joke I've missed? <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's, no, Stan drives the happening. That's what it is. <laughs> no, I can't remember, but there was a movie with M Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan made had Marky Mark in it, the little grumpy elf girl from Elf, Zoe Deschanel. 
basically the gist of it was the plants were producing pollen that was causing humans to kill themselves. And thus ended M. Night Shyamalan's career. <laughs> That's just stupid. That's a that stupid was idea. A, that was a better idea than these plant guys in Empire. Would you suggest to anybody to pick up either Cap or Avengers Empire tie-ins? I did not read Cap. If you'd like to look at epic, pretty pictures, I would recommend Avengers. Or if you like Kazar, which... Did you guys know that Kazar and Shanna had a kid? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I did not know that, so... Looks a lot uh, like you... a saber-toothed tiger. Name, oh. name, name, Sham, Sham, what is that tiger's name? That's Zabu. Zabu. I started to say Shamu, and I thought, no, that's a whale. <laughs> Zabu is not their kid. Are you sure? Yeah, I start, thank you, Albert. <laughs> they live in a re- very weird place. You know, Colossus has a few offspring running around the Savage Land. Yeah, and, yeah, and I he's think all fully, the X Men do. He's not fully conscious of it. Okay, and I have another question. People talk about power creep in characters' power levels and stuff, but I think Vibranium has just the the power creep on Vibranium has just gone out the wazoo. It's like people don't even seem to remember what the heck that metal was supposed to be anymore. They wrote too much mystical stuff into it. I mean, it's an asteroid that hit Earth in Wakanda, and they've got the majority of it. Its original properties were more than enough. What well, more do you need? Right. I mean, it was you, just yeah. it was just supposed to, well, they say absorb vibrations. That's why it's called vibranium, okay? Uh-huh. But it also explains why when it hit Wakanda, it didn't just leave a giant crater. Because if it's absorbing quote-unquote vibrations, then it wouldn't have left a giant crater. I don't understand why vibranium has suddenly become the be-all, end-all fertilizer. Well, this is what happens when you don't follow the panther god's implicit wishes concerning vibranium, which is, of course, that Dr. Doom possess all of it. They've ignored that. Ever since the mandate, ever since the Panther God laid down the rules that Doom is deserving to own all the vibranium and all of existence, we've just moved right past that. And so now it's a wonderful fertilizer. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what to tell See, you. See, y'all seem to think any of these writers outside of Al Ewing read comics that's not theirs. Al Ewing is, reads comics and, and, and he's just completely... Who else's name is on that cover, Sandra? Ed... Ed Brisson oh, and Jerry Dugan read comics. <laughs> well, I thought it was Dan Slott, right? Dan yeah, it's Slott. Dan Slott. <laughs> if I was in Marvel editorial, I'd be very careful about incurring the wrath of the Panther God, and I would go ahead and see that Doom got all the vibranium. We need a sound effect for me rolling my eyeballs, since you can't see You know, that. it must be real easy to be a comic book editor for Marvel and DC, because none of them tell these writers they can't do anything. <laughs> Empire X-Men number three by writer Ed Brisson, Vida Aea, and Zeb Wells. Art by Andrea Bricardo. All Ileana all the time. Plus, Multiple Man. He's what's for dinner. Hey, look, a fun comic. Really, do not view this as an Empire tie-in. Look at it as Ileana gaining godlike powers. <laughs> this is a fun book. It's entertaining. I'm just enjoying the hell out of it. And really, I don't think they're even acknowledging that it's an Empire tie-in anymore. They barely, I think the plant people are barely, barely in this issue. Yeah, it's mostly zombies. 
Riding of Four, The Art of Four, The Dynamic Three, my score was 3.7. I gave The Riding of Four, The Art of Three, and Dynamic a five. Well, there you go. So we tied. No, we didn't. You came out one better. Your score is four. Because I'm better than you, Stan. Well, there you go. (laughs) Moving on to Boom Studios. Alienated number five. Writer... Simon Spurrier, artist Chris Wildgoose, this issue really hurt. I'm afraid that this may end up being the most tragic comic of the year. So far, it's it's the best. And I, I wouldn't I, go that far. How far would you go? I don't know. They got a. It may end up being too cliche at the end, but it's still a great issue either way. I don't think he's going to go for a cliche ending on this. He's already. With the uh, events in this recent issue, he's already gone a little bit of a different way here. You can always tread the same path as before. There's plenty of outs to this, but I don't get the sense that that's where Simon Spurrier is going with this. I just really like this comic book. I do, I do, I do. Yeah, I do uh, agree. It's a great comic book, and I, re- I really like it too. Yeah, it, best characterization of teenagers in a comic book I think I've ever seen. It seems like something Netflix would pick up. It really does. Some, something that Netflix should pick up. And then they and, do a bad yeah. job with it. No, I want them to do a good job with it and it just be a one-off. We don't have to stranger things this to death. <laughs> Alienated, for me, fives across the board. How about you, Albert? I gave the Art of Four, the Writing of Four, Dynamic of, we'll just say fours. Okay, fours across the board. Seven Secrets, number one, writer Tom Taylor, artist Danielle D. Nicola, Nicola, Kaylee Kawako, D. Nicolo, D. Nicolo, Danielle D. Nicolo. Out of all names I've mispronounced, I actually think I've gotten this one right. Is it Danielle? <laughs> it is now. <laughs> Any guy, Stan. It is a guy. Well, all right. Why in the hell is he putting an E at the end of Daniel? Because he's not I American. I don't claim to be an authority on most I, things, but by God, I'm going to say I'm I'm an authority on the name Daniel. <laughs> you can put an S on the end of it, but you... <laughs> I believe he is French. They give names that we tend to think, No, well, he I, may be I, Italian. I am not. I'm, no, he's Italian. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, let's just call him Daniel D. Nicuela. How's that? Okay. All, All right. right. There we go. And look, pal, I like your art. Your art's great. So <laughs> give me a pass on the name situation. As you may have remembered on last week's episode, <laughs> I started off thinking that this might be an okay comic, but after Albert talking about briefcases for 20 minutes, out of which I think y'all heard two sentences because I edited it down. <laughs> I was not looking forward to this comic. As a matter of fact, I almost skipped this comic. And that would have been a mistake. This was another comic I was not expecting to care about, but I ended up caring about it. I liked it. That's a testament to the storytelling. It's far better than Empire and Death Metal, and it's also cheaper. You might want to give this first issue a go. I don't know. I gave the writing a four. I gave the art a four. And I gave the dynamic a three because the layout's a little bit familiar. But like I said, I went into it not caring, and I came out feeling pretty good about it. To me, this book read like one of those Robert Kerman comics that come out, then everyone get, stops caring about it after about two issues. The Robert Kirkman comic we reviewed last week, I, <laughs> I read a 150-page prologue <laughs> in two issues, and I just didn't give a damn about it other than the dog. But this, 
I went into this not giving a damn about it and came out liking it. It just didn't do anything for me. What'd you think about the art? The art itself is good. I did not care for any of the page layouts or anything like that. I liked it. I, well, I found well, mostly it's the character, the characters, the way he draws people and everything's very good. Everything else, including the way he does action and everything, I did not like. Okay, let me ask you this. You want to buy a comic and you're looking at Empire number whatever the hell this is and Seven Secrets number one. Which one do you recommend to them? I tell them to buy Marauders number 11 instead. <laughs> That wasn't the choice option. <laughs> well, the, well, we got to have choices, Stan. We can't. This this isn't a presidential election. We have to have more than two choices. God. I think it's well worth your money. What do you think? What did you give it? Oh, I gave the writing like a three. Uh, the art and dynamic two. That hurts on the art, especially since I just trounced his name four times over by accident. I think the art has, it's kind of weird. It's like, there's like a Chris Anka vibe. But, well, you know what? It has like an old guard vibe to it. I, there went, I went ahead and said it. <laughs> okay. What was your scoring for it? Threes all the way through. Okay. I'm a little bit harder on the art. And the story, I mean, 2.5s, threes. I mean, it just, I had higher hopes and it was not as good as I expected. So I, that's why I'm giving it, I guess, less than, than I would have. But 2.53, awesome. it could go someplace good. I'm willing to give the next couple of issues a go. Sure. I would definitely buy this over Empire. Thank you, Sandra. That was what we were getting at. <laughs> well, I'm both third party. So. <laughs> Boom Studios also released this week Strange Skies over East Berlin trade paperback. Albert and I both very much liked that series. It was just great spy noir with a sci-fi twist to it. So if you're looking to pick up a, a solid trade paperback to read, I say Strange Skies. I agree. Yeah. It's a very, very good book. And now we're going to do our little thing we do for the comic books coming out next week. We're going to talk briefly about some of the comics coming out the week of August 19th, 2020. And let's jump right into it. Right off the top of the list here, Albert, Sandra, is Dark Knight's Death Metal Guidebook. <laughs> Nobody asked for that. I don't know that anybody asked for death metal. If I didn't recommend Empire's Handbook, I am certainly not recommending a guidebook. Figure it out for yourself. Everybody is Batman. Isn't that essentially it? Yes. Yes, everybody is Batman. There. You don't have to spend $7 on the guidebook. With more sharp angles on their costumes. That's, yeah. Yeah. And Wonder Woman has a chainsaw. So, there you go. You don't have to spend money on that book. Seriously, don't. You can spend money on better things, and right now, more than ever, especially given what we've been discussing, your money is your vote on this, and where you put that money is going to tell Marvel and whatever's left of DC what you want, what you're willing to spend money on. So do not, please do not buy into stuff like this unless you're just a completist and absolutely have to have it, but there's no need for that book. Moving right on down the list, Batman number 97, Tinian, still writing it. It's still the Joker story. This is a no-brainer to me, isn't it to you? Yeah, the rest of it was great. Yeah, we finally got a Batman book that is a Batman book in its main time. I mean, Detective has been great, but uh, it's nice to have Batman in the Batman title again. Tinian's story is outstanding. There's actual 
jeopardy in this. I actually look forward to seeing this book on the list. So yeah, Batman number 97, I think is well worth your money. Nightwing number 73, written by Dan Jurgens, artist Ryan Benjamin and Richard Friend is coming out. This is a tie-in to the Joker War. I've not been jumping up and down about Nightwing. The issues have been confusing. They've changed the character up. They have multicolored Nightwings. It's all too much for the character of Nightwing in the past. The reason we're going to review it next week is, of course, because it's the Joker War. Maybe there's something there. But I'm going to go ahead and say, if you're if you're having to make a decision now on what to buy next week, skip Nightwing. I don't think this is going to be a vulture alert. I can't see anything relevant happening in it. I honestly think it's a tie-in simply to bump up Nightwing's numbers, given that they've canceled Batgirl, Supergirl, so many other titles. I mean, it's written by Dan Jurgens. I'll give it a shot. Well, yeah, we're going to review it. But do you think they should run out and buy it? I don't know. For no reason. Well, you see, this is what we're doing. We're projecting. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's Dan Jurgens. Just buy it. Okay, Albert says buy it. I say hold off. We're going on to Justice League number 51. We've switched writers again. Still takes place before the 58,000 issue Snyder art. So it's still taking place out of sequence. Writer Jeff Loveness is on this. Artist Robson Roca. If they were sticking with Cy Spurrier from the last one, I'd say, you know what? Pick it up. Give it a chance again. It's safe to go back into the Justice League because we're still out of sequence on this book and we're jumping to another writer and another artist. I'm going to say, no, save your money. I don't see any point to this book. Question the Deaths of Vic Sage, number four, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Dennis Cohen. This is a good book. If you're a question fan, we do recommend this book. I'm not as crazy about it as Albert is, but it's been a good read. When did that come out? Well, this it started, started coming out before everything shut down. Yeah. Oh, I don't yeah, remember this is a, this that. Is a black, this is a black label book. Oh, a black yeah. label book. Okay, maybe that's why. Question the Deaths of Vic Sage. You're fairly safe there, especially if you like noir. Wonder Woman, Dead Earth number four, writer and artist Daniel Warren Johnson again. I love this Wonder Woman book. I wish Daniel Warren Johnson would take over her regular title. Could be the best Wonder Woman story ever. It could, could be. be. I, I don't want to get my hopes up, but damn, he's been knocking it out of the park to date. So, yeah, that's a green light on that. Also next week from Boom Studios, we're planning to go back to, we've skipped the last few issues of Once in Future, number 10 comes out. We're going to go back and review it. I'm still thoroughly enjoying this book. It's written by Kieran Gillen. The artist on it is Dan Mora. I love the Arthurian stuff. I love all of the Celtic lore they're putting into this. And this was also an Eisner nomination for Best New Book of the Year. I don't think you can go wrong on this. The first story arc should be out in trade paperback, so you should pick that up too. Yeah, yeah. This is a fantastic book and easily Boom's best book too. Well, it has Kieran Gillian on it, so... There you go. Two thumbs up, or three thumbs up. What Mariner story did he write? (laughs) He wrote a short story called The Judgment of Namor, and he actually submitted a pitch for Namor when uh, the 2010 book came out. You see, when I asked that, y'all thought I was being funny, but... (laughs) (laughs) He's one of my, oh, please, please, comic gods, let Kieran Gillian write a Namor book, because... He also wrote Namor when he wrote the uh, X-Men. Was, was that when Submariner made sweet, sweet love to the uh, bass-like creature that was on land? Uh, yes. Yes, actually, that was written by Kieran Gillian. <laughs> yep. 
There we go. When Hope asked him about the uh, tapeworm queen, quote unquote. Yeah. 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 So there's a real treat for y'all there. I like Kieran Gillen. <laughs> I do too. I do too. We all like Once in Future. We all like Kieran Gillen. IDW Transformers versus Terminator. We skipped this a couple of issues, but we're going to go back and revisit because, damn, there's a couple of websites out there that just insist this is the best thing ever, and it's really not striking me like that. Writer David Marriott, John Barber, and Tom Waltz. Wow, three writers for this concept. And artist Alex Milne. Albert, am I mistaken? Or I, I just didn't think this. I mean, I thought this was going to be a great book when they announced it, but it's just not coming across to me. Which book was that? It's Transformers Terminator number ah. four. Yeah, I mean, it could be a good book. I don't know. I, I, didn't, I really didn't care for issue one. If I'm not mistaken, I know we didn't review past issue one. If I'm not mistaken, I've read it all the way up to three and it's forgettable. But I'm going to tune in to four, see if I can figure out if I'm missing something that other Transformer fans thinks are really there. And again, if you haven't watched the Transformers Netflix original streaming show, you should watch that. That was very good. Okay, Marvel Comics next week. Avengers, number 35, writer Jason Aaron, artist Javi Garrel. I'm saying no to this. Is it, oh, it's still the Moon Knight thing. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Now I don't get perhaps Moon Knight. I mean, this book comes out. This book comes out once every two weeks, and it seems like we've been dealing with Moon Knight for two years now. Not to mention the Star Brand Child. I think you're utterly safe in skipping this book. I love Jason Aaron as a general rule. I just don't know. The Avengers book seems to have gone off the rails to me. Sandra, have you been following Avengers? I picked up the Namer issues. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, I guess it takes a long time for the Phoenix to travel from wherever she was to get to name her. It's going to be even longer now. So, Albert, you're a no on Avengers? Correct, I'm a no on Avengers. Save your money, okay. Cable number three by writer Jerry Dugan, artist Phil Noto. We both love number one. Albert, how were you on number two? You were kind of... A little iffy, but yeah, I mean, issue one was good. I'll, I'll still read it. Yeah, so, for no other reason than the characterization and yeah. the effort that, you know, Jerry Dugan puts into this book. Highly entertaining to me. Uh, it's and, got uh, Phil Noto art, and I like Phil yeah. Noto. So there you go. Yeah, we're both a yes on cable number three. Sandra is catching up on the X-Books. <laughs> <laughs> sometime before the end of the year. <laughs> so we hope to hear her cable number three review sometime in 2022. Uh, Captain America number 22, it's been a while since we visited with Cap, and that's just because there's been no change in status quo. Writer Tanisi Coates and artist Bob Quinn, I hate to say it, this run on Captain America seems to be coming across as utterly forgettable. And the line on this book is, for Peggy Carter to live, must Sharon Carter die? We've beat this with a dead horse. There's so much more we could be doing with Captain America in this day and age. I'm scared this is going into the realm of, of forgettable, but we're going to take a closer look at it. I'm just saying don't necessarily jump onto this book. Is Coates going to be writing this much longer? Have Have we heard anything about that? I have not heard anything about that. I know he's off of Black Panther, but I don't know about Captain America. Okay. It's probably a skip on this one. Yeah. So save your money there. Okay. And also coming out next week, <laughs> Empire... X-Men number four. We just reviewed Empire X-Men number three. We've loved every issue of this to date so far. Writer Jonathan Hickman, artist Jorge Molina. Get it. 
it's the only reason for Empire to have existed is to give birth to this book. You don't have to be reading Empire to enjoy this book. I'm going to go ahead and say, look, you need to get all of the issues to this. It's a fun comic. Yeah, it's the only Empire book that's worth anything. But beyond that, it's a good comic. It's a solid. It is a very good comic. Yeah, it's a yeah, yeah, it's coming across as a good X-Men story. And that's what counts, not the plant people. We're going to go back and revisit Excalibur with Excalibur number 11, writer Tinny Howard and artist Marcus Two. I've actually skipped reading the last few several issues because it does not seem to really fit in with the direction Hickman's X-Men seems to be heading. But we're going to revisit it and take a look at it anyway. This just seemed like a bunch of leftover X-Men characters that they threw in a book. Isn't this supposed to be like where the the new X-Men event is coming out of? Yeah, it looks like it plays a... (laughs) Fairly significant role, which I'm not jumping up and down about that either. The swords thing, the Ten of Swords. Right. Lords of Empire, Swordsman, number one, writer Alex Pecknadel, and artist Thomas Natchlick. Skip this one, save your money. The spinoffs of Empire, other than the Empire X-Men spinoff, are all falling flat across the board. Think you can save a little money there. Who's his book for? I don't know. It's Swordsman, so I... And it's not really the Swordsman that... Unless they bring back the actual Swordsman in here, am I wrong? It's just a plant clone of the original Swordsman. Something like that. Boy, this is going back to yet another event probably no one ever remembers. Didn't they resurrect the quote-unquote real Swordsman in Chaos War? They may have. It may have been a temporary thing, but he's not back. Or it could have been this guy, this plant guy. I don't think that plant guy, I mean, I'm not real familiar with, I know that they did a Celestial Madonna event clap miniseries, and I I completely missed that. I don't remember this being Swordsman at all. I think this is just a plant wearing the guise of Swordsman to, it just, because there's nothing about this character that's like Swordsman at all. I guess we're going to have to read the Empire Handbook next I'm not reading that. (laughs) Albert's joking, don't waste your money on Lords of Empire, so. Is that next week? Yeah, yeah, it's next week. Yeah, it's a one-shot coming out next week. Lords of Empire, don't waste your money on this one. It's They're all falling flat. I don't know what they could do to save the Empire event. Empire X-Men is great, though. Spider-Woman, number three, by Carla Pacheco and art by Pere Perez. Man, I do. I like this book. It had been so long between issue number one and number two due to the comics quarantine during COVID that you had forgot where we were, Albert. But I'm really enjoying this version of Spider-Woman. If we can keep the sass and, forgive me for this, keep the bitchiness up in this book because I really enjoy it. She's really entertaining here. I remember liking issue one and two, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to you. I'll still read it. Spider-Woman is a safe bet for you many this week. Star Wars Bounty Hunters. I'm a Star Wars guy, and of course I'm going to get it. I'm going to read it. Issue number four comes out next week. Writer Ethan Sachs. Artist Paolo Villanelli. This is following cyborg bounty hunter Valance. And Valance is a character from the original Marvel Comics Star Wars non-canon line that they've brought back into canon because why not? Look, you title a book Star Wars Bounty Hunters. I want Boba Fett, IG-88, Bosk, and Dengar. I even want Forlom. How can you have a Star Wars Bounty Hunters and not have Boba Fett? Well, he's in there, but it's more like a background thing, and Valance is the foreground, and I just... Valance is an okay character, but this is not what I want from a Star Wars Bounty Hunter book. So unless you're just like me and want to keep up with all of Star Wars continuity, I don't necessarily think 
bounty hunters is has advertised. No, I didn't care too much for it. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. But when you name a book Star Wars Bounty Hunters, I want the damn Bounty Hunters from Empire Strikes Back or Bounty Hunters from Jabba's Palace. I don't want a forgotten comic book character from the 1970s run of Marvel Star Wars to take center stage in all of the stories. And that seems too bad. Yeah, I know. I know. So I'm going to have to say probably save you money on Star Wars Bounty Hunters. Thor, number six, Donnie Cates, writer, artist, Nick Klein. This is a credit to Marvel Comics. This is a no-brainer. Next to Immortal Hulk, this is one of the better comics that they're putting out. Very, very good book. I guess Cates will use this to build up to... He's got another Null event coming? Yeah, the Null event, the big Venom symbiote thing, the God Null. They've, he's already set up Silver Surfer. He seems to be setting up aspects of it in Thor. But this standalone... This book by itself, awesome, awesome, awesome. And unfortunately, it's directly contradicting the Thor that's showing up in Empire and Avengers at the moment. But that's a good thing. Kate's book is how Thor should be and how Thor should be portrayed everywhere. And if this Thor is too powerful for you, then you simply do not use Thor in your storyline. Yeah, pretty so, much. Yeah, pick this book up. You're missing something if you're not reading it. Oh, Finally, yep. Last but not least, for next week's comics, we have Wolverine number four, writer Ben Percy and artist Victor Bogdanovic. It's been okay. It's had its high moments. It's had its low moments. I'm not psyched up about issue number four because we got Omega Red on the cover. I'm not a big Omega Red fan. But if you are, that may be the defining factor for you is that Omega Red is in it. I like Omega Red. I'll I'll read it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're going to read it, but... I thought issue number one held a lot of promise, and I don't feel we're living up to the promise now that we're at issue number four. I think this goes back to dealing with the vampires that were in the backup story for issue number one. Yeah. So we'll have to see it. But yeah, I really right, like that backup story. I did too. I like both of the stories. I just did not like the way the first, the primary story played out. It was okay, but I want more. I want better from it. I want this to be as good as the rest of the X books. Okay, and okay. that winds up. Did y'all talk about Maestro? Isn't Maestro coming out next week? You're exactly right. And even more important is Conan Battle for the Serpent Crown, number four of five, which features Conan apparently diving all the way down to Atlantis in a Khazar move, just in his loincloth, to take on Namor. What? Well, there you there you go. Apparently, is Conan, what is that? Savage Conan? No, it's a miniseries called Conan Battle for the Serpent Crown. Battle for the, oh, so he's he's still in current continuity in that. Yes. Okay, and, like in uh, Savage Avengers. And I'm hoping this cover is completely wrong, because if he does a Khazar move and dives down into Atlantis without any diving gear, I mean, literally, he's in his loincloth, and they have him... Beat up on Namor. That's it. Well, it's a comic book. Anything can happen. Well, you see, I wasn't planning on picking that one up, but we're going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yes, yes. This will be picked up. Definitely. Maybe not by you guys, but this one will be picked up. Oh, no, no, no. We're going to do that now. Any opportunity, any (laughs) chance to see this go down. Oh, yeah, we're all reviewing it next week. Okay. And and Maestro. The new Maestro. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out because that's the book I'm looking forward to most. Peter David on Maestro coming out. Maestro is the future imperfect Hulk. In future imperfect, all we see is what the Hulks become. Is the Hulk in the future has maestro 
But apparently this series is going to focus on how the Hulk became Maestro. And it's written by the creator of Future Imperfect. It's written by Peter David. So I don't feel you can go wrong there. I highly recommend that one. Yeah, it's written by Peter David. It'll be good, I guess. Yeah, this is another. If it wasn't written by Peter, Peter David, I wouldn't read it. If it wasn't written by Peter David, I'd look into it just to see. The fact that Peter David's back writing it is the one that pitched it. I am all about this book. I am all over Maestro. Is Dale Keown doing the art too? Because, I mean, he was the one that did the original art on Future Imperfect, wasn't it? I mean, I know he did a run with Peter David on Hulk. I thought Perez did Future Imperfect. Really? George Perez? Oh, man, he did. Yeah, it was George Perez. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but Dale Keown was uh, doing the art on the Hulk around the Hulk's normal title around that time. The artist on this one is going to be German Peralta. And apparently Del Kion also. Maybe so he's doing a cover. Yeah. He's doing cover, but it also credits him as art and hmm. additional art. There may be a story divide in this one or something. So definitely, definitely Maestro. I really do believe Maestro is going to be worth your money. So that's a safe bet. If it's, do you think huh? they'll use him in Immortal Hulk? I don't know since he is the Hulk in a timeline. I can't imagine Al Ewing not having something... And something fairly large with that. I mean, an aspect of Hulk's personality, mm -hmm. but also you could make argument that this is a Hulk in a different timeline. And so be safe in ignoring that. I don't know. It'd be interesting either way. At the same time, I would want to see Al Ewing doing that in Immortal Hulk. And at the same time, I don't want to see him doing that in Immortal Hulk. So six, one, half dozen, the other. Yeah, so Maestro number one, I bet's going to be well worth your money. If it's not, you can reach Peter David over Twitter. Oh no, don't don't even think about doing that. <laughs> oh, he has a wonderful sense of humor. <laughs> I was about to say he'll give you an earful. So HBO Max wrapped up Perry Mason this past Sunday. Albert, I understand that you practically got up, went and humped the television over it. Is that correct? That's a great show. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's the best show on television. <laughs> okay <laughs> hey look i ended up liking it a lot more than i thought i was going to but i'm i'm going to stop short at calling it the best show on television it was what is the mandalorian it ain't the news mandalorian <laughs> mandalorian's not currently airing new episodes well it's okay yeah you know mandalorian you can watch over and over again and it's still just as good i enjoyed it much more than i thought i was going to i liked it had a nice ending, had a nice wrap-up to things. Sandra, what'd you think? Yes, Sandra, what'd you think? I, I was a little disappointed with the ending. Wow. It, just seemed, it just seemed a little anticlimactic. The only thing that was unexpected to me was, why is Howard Hughes killing that dirty cop? I didn't understand that, because this is the first time we've seen Howard Hughes. What? Howard, Howard Hughes, the multimillionaire? Yeah. Wasn't that Howard Hughes? No, that was the cop's partner that killed him. Didn't he do it because of Howard Hughes? Well, those cops were just dirty cops. Yeah, I know they were dirty cops. The cop's partner had him killed under the impression I had was because he went a step too far. Yeah, earlier in the series, Ennis, the, the bad cop, the bad, bad cop mm -hmm. that was involved with the kidnapping, his partner didn't know any of that. And when his partner found out, he says, You're, his partner's like, you're going to have to fix all this. This is too much. So at the end of it, once the trial wrapped up and everything, his partner was like, you know what? He's got to go. 
Yeah, that was all his partner's decision. Okay, I'm looking at the list for that last episode. I'm not seeing a character Howard Hughes listed. I'm seeing Al Howard listed. And these are character names, not Howard. Right, right. At no time did I think that Howard Hughes was involved in any of this. All the pieces were connected in the la- in episode seven, the previous episode. And the only thing I got out of this episode was, yes, karma caught up with Ennis. And then it was kind of like, okay, so we've assembled our Perry Mason cast. Overall, it was an enjoyable uh, show. I, I still think I would have enjoyed it better had they not used the Perry Mason name and the Perry Mason characters, but it's fine that they did. If this is what we're going to get, this is what we're going to get. I... Did not like it when it started. It grew on me as we watched it, but that's largely because of the actors' performances in it. The storyline was fine. It certainly had that gritty, noir feel. If you're an original Perry Mason fan of either the novels or the Raymond Burr series and movies, this is not the Perry Mason for you. I'm going no, to it could be. I like the old TV show. This is, I thought this was great. Unless you're like Albert, in which case apparently it's great. Well, you got at the first off, the guy's name is Al Howard. It says it in the closed captions. Okay, that's it. Uh, yeah. Second of all, they do the big Perry Mason courtroom scene at the front of this, and Berger says, "No, you can't do any of this. None of this works." So, yeah, I thought that was great the way Berger interrupted his daydream. That yeah. you're not nobody. No, no, nobody ever confesses on this. What are you thinking? Nobody ever confesses on the stand. I like Berger a lot in this. He he really did stand out to me. Perry Mason's character or the character of this version of Perry Mason grew on me. Some of it you've got to ask how much of this would have actually flown in 1932, 33, yeah. because a lot of characters seem to get away with a lot of things that I just don't think they'd been able to in that time period but overall yes it's a good watch and i'm primarily talking about the religious stuff they pull off yeah because i'm fairly certain there's a bunch of people that would have taken the opportunity to crucify everybody involved in that church if that had gone down at that time period in california so also also the people that killed Ennis at the fountain yeah they're speaking Mandarin or something. Oh, yeah. so they are Chinese. Yeah, they are yeah. Chinese. They are Asian, yeah. Yeah, the closed caption actually says, rather than translating, it just says speaking Mandarin. And I'm looking at this thing and it says, um, that was a casino boss, so I guess that wouldn't be Howard Hughes, because he, he was many things, but he wasn't a casino boss. And that well, it was... I, yeah, he was. <laughs> did he have a casino? Yes, he did. He He lived in his casino when he became known for being a recluse. That's where the rumors of his toenails and fingernails growing out and him locking away from uh, germophobia. But that was an aside. Was it called the Lucky Lagoon? No, it was not called the Lucky Lagoon. Okay. Well, what they're saying is that it's called the Lucky Lagoon, which I don't I don't know what that is. It was called the Desert Inn. And it says Al Howard that that Casino guy at the end was uh-huh. in a second episode, but I don't remember seeing him. It may just oh, been was, a small. It may have been a small thing in the in whatever the first episode was. Was his name Howard? It says Al no, Howard Al. in the subtitles. And oh, they call him okay. Mr. And I remember they called him Mister Howard. Okay, that's where I was confused at. That's where my confusion came from. Then yeah, he okay. Ha- Howard Hughes owned the Desert Inn. In reality, Howard Hughes owned the uh, Desert Inn, the Sands Hotel, and the Frontier Hotel and Casino. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Ennis was obviously an idiot, but Ennis should have known because his partner told him to take care of all the loose ends. He killed all the loose ends, and then he didn't expect his partner to take care of the final loose end. Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense, Ennis. Well, they had to wrap it all up so we can get on to whatever next year's crime the jour is going yeah, to be. And the, the actress that played Emily Dotson, uh-huh. her name's like Gail Rakin or something mm-hmm. like that. She did such a great job in this last episode. Uh, yeah, I agree. And she yeah. was on the stand and everything. That was she. She's in a. She's probably the best acting in that in that episode. Was her? Yeah, I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. I'll go with that. If you're a Perry Mason fan and like court dramas, I think that whole court, the, all the courtroom scenes, even the dream courtroom scene, would have tickled you pink because they were all all very good. Now I'm going to bring up something that has not been on the syllabus because I only found it yesterday, but I am going to recommend to people out there, you you want to be entertained and somewhat educated at the same time. Netflix has a wonderful series of about six or seven episodes of a show called Trial by Media. They're very serious episodes. There's some humor. Uh, there's a couple of humorous episodes, but I highly suggest you do take the opportunity to at least watch one or two of them because this show really does illustrate how drastically impacted the court system has been by allowing cameras into it and by allowing trials to be broadcast. First episode deals with the Jenny Jones show situation where Jenny Jones surprised a guest with homosexual guy that had a crush on him and eventually that resulted in murder in real oh, life wow. yeah, yeah. That. and then there's one on bernard gets but my favorite one and this is also personal is the fourth episode and it's entitled king richard and it is about richard scrushy we live in birmingham where this took place please Take the opportunity to watch this show. It's about Richard Scrushy, who was CEO of Health South. I really enjoyed watching that episode. But all of the episodes are. Did they cover valid. that church he set up on 459? God, yes, they cover everything. Because remember, like they they set that church up, and like the the feds and them wanted financial records from the church, uh-huh. and the church was just like, "Nah, we're not going to give it to you." Oh, it, look, man, they covered every Don, Donald Watkins and I forget the other attorney's name. Man, they cover it all. And then they give you information that we were not aware of before this episode, like the aftermath of it. Hmm. I'll give that yeah. a look. Yeah. So, so you definitely got to watch that. What but, was it called uh, again? It's called Trial by Media. It's only Trial Netflix. by Media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and each of the episodes, Denise and I have watched over the weekend each of the episodes. They're all very, very good. So I highly recommend you watch it because this is the type of docudrama that is important now because it wasn't always like this, for good or for bad. Documentarians do a good job of walking the line of just presenting things as much as possible without trying to influence you one way or the other. It's this Wednesday that we're having the end of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I didn't know anyone still cared about that show. Man, I'm telling you, the last couple of seasons have been really entertaining. They've officially come out and said that there is absolutely no continuity linkage between this and the movies anymore. I saw an article earlier today. And they said the show benefited when it broke away from trying to stay in continuity. Yeah, exactly. When they finally got rid of the whole inhuman crap, even though some of that is being touched on here, and when they let go of Quake, Daisy, whatever, being the be-all, end-all, and let some of these other characters shine through and actually gave Coulson a bit of shine, too. Basically, whenever they got away from the 
comics, so to speak, and started writing to the characters. There are still touches to the comics, but it's been a better show. And then this last season has been kind of entertaining because it's been jumping around in time. I'm not sure how they're going to wrap everything up in two hours. Yeah, my only complaint about this season is their adversary is just not, well, he's no Doctor Doom, let's say that. (laughs) Well, they've got to wrap it up because I don't see Disney+. Plus picking this one up the disney plus stuff is on its way yeah yeah yeah. and i'm I'm looking forward to that yeah this is one of the last things remaining under jeff Loeb, but also under whedon's brother i think it was yeah somebody related to whedon but now they still have one more thing out they have hellstrom which i'm like what is going on there how did that get greenlit yeah i'm not sure if that's got to be a contractual While we're on the subject of entertainment, streaming, movies, and so on and so forth, I did have the opportunity, I know y'all haven't yet, but I did have the opportunity, I watched the first episode of Star Trek Lower Decks. To my amazement, I liked it. I think they were taking a few cues from the Orville, but at the same time trying to find their own path with it. The first episode was pretty funny, and the main character, Mariner, for whatever reason, she struck a chord with me. I really like her. She plays off a pretty straightforward character who wants to be by the book and all. It was funny. Both Denise and I laughed out loud a number of times at it. It's off the beaten path Star Trek. You're going to get language and nudity in it, but, you know, Star Trek could use more adult language and nudity in it. No, no. You don't don't want to see Worf naked? No, I don't. Is the hot cat lady from the old cartoon in it? There's the doctor that's cat, but I don't know if she's the same cat lady. She looks a little beat up and all. It could be her. I'm not sure if that's the, if that was intended. You see, I didn't make that connection. I mean, she's clearly the same species. I don't know if that this is the same character or not plots rather straightforward but you're not in it for the plot you're in it for the laughs and the character development i don't uh why'd you say cussing and nudity well there's not really you see guys butts on the holodeck there's not the level of cussing in it that there was in picard why does cbs hate star trek I'm liking Lower Decks, and I'm why did, liking okay, Discovery. Not CBS. Why do the people that's responsible for these TV shows on CBS All Access hate Star Trek? Well, funny you should mention that. Why can you not just watch the old show, or maybe Next Gen, or even Deep Space Nine, and figure out how to make Star Trek? They're making their own path here with Discovery, to a lesser extent Picard. Picard's got a second season, but well, I don't see it going. They're going down the wrong road. I don't see it going beyond the second season. Picard's been the most disappointing out of the releases. You've got Strange New Worlds coming up, which I'm very excited about, which follows Spock and Captain Pike and number one. So I'm looking forward to that. And you've also got Wetworks Section 31 coming up that's in pre-production at the moment. But the writers have gotten an amazing jump. They're already working on Discovery Season 4. I like Lord Dex and I like Discovery, and I'm looking forward to Strange New Worlds. I'm not as much looking forward to Section 31, and i I, I really not looking forward to Picard Season 2. None of it really feels like Star Trek. None of it seems to have a point. William Shatner can only do so much, my friend. William Shatner is the most in-shape 90-year-old on the face of the planet. William Shatner is going to outlive all of us. In the end, it's just going to be him and Betty White. (laughs) And his horses. (laughs) And his horses. Okay, well, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Again, thank you all so very much. We greatly appreciate you. Please do give us five stars. Please share us with your friends. Share us with your enemies. Share us with people walking down the street. 
tell them about us, uh, get them to listen. Our listenership is growing at a wonderful rate, and we cannot thank you enough for all of it. Please do contact us with your questions or your statements or your comments. Love us, hate us, whatever. Let us hear from you. KingdomCasts, Kingdom, C-A-S-T-S, at gmail.com, as well as KingdomComics at gmail.com. KingdomCasts and KingdomComics on Facebook, Twitter, and wherever excellent podcasts are sold. Let us hear from you. We look forward to it. We Again, we cannot thank you enough. Sandra, you got anything? I don't think so, except waffling on whether or not I'm going to invest in Lovecraft Country. But I thought we already were. I've committed oh, were we? to it. Okay. <laughs> Lovecraft was a racist. <clears throat> yes, well, thank I you, Albert. Gonna, I, I think they're going to deal with that. <laughs> Did I mention that, man, that trailer for... All I can think of is Al, Al Ewing must have, like, phoned in Empire so he could really go to town on this. We only find them when they're dead because, man, that book looks awesome. I, I think, I'm excited about that, too. Yeah, uh, the, there was a trailer that dropped for it, and it was like, whoa! I haven't seen the trailer, but I've been excited for that book ever since I knew it was coming out. Albert, you got anything? I have to go to Chicago. Any reason in particular? So there's this guy up there that owns arcade. Yeah. And he owns like 800 machines or so. Yeah. And he owns like prototypes and one of kinds. Lord, 800 machines. Yeah, I, I, assume they're, I assume they're not all on the floor at one time, but he owns a Sega R360. Whoa. You don't even know what that is. No, I don't. But that was <laughs> good. That was a good interaction. With so you, the, R- though the Sega R360 came out like in 1990. And it's like some huge arcade machine that you set in. It's circular, and you and it would spin you around in every direction. And they're Dave very and rare. Dave and Buster's has a Star Wars game that does that. No, no, this this is different. These things are insanely rare. In fact, back then in 1990, when they launched, they cost $170,000. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. Does it look like the Da Vinci drawing? You get in it, and you've got your hands in these things, and they put a headset on you? Oh, no. It spins around like that, but it's a thing. you. It's like a cockpit. You sit in it. Okay. But it does all the spinning thing. That's what, okay. it, that's what it does. Well, he's got the only working one in America. All right. Now, this one, the one I did at Downtown Disney on Pleasure Island way back when, you were not sitting in a cockpit. You had headgear on and you had hand gear on, and but they did strap you in. Yeah. And it did spin every way possible. You yeah. have to understand, this is a 30-year-old piece of equipment this dude has. Dear Lord. That How works. You gonna, that works. How are you going to get it back? We mean get it back. I thought you were going up there to buy it. No, I'm going back there. To, I can't. I ain't got one hundred seventy thousand dollars. <laughs> I don't even know how this guy got a hold of this. <laughs> Connections, man. Chicago, crime capital of the world. Al Capone, man. <laughs> All right. Do we have anything else to say? Since I'm falling flat here. <laughs> no. I've forgotten what we've said. <laughs> Well, in that case, won't both of you tell them good night? Good night. I thought I told them good night the last two nights, too. I don't know if you have or haven't, but you're going to go ahead now. <laughs> good night. It ain't midnight yet, so I can't say good morning. Thank you both. Good night, everybody. We'll talk good to night. you next week. Kingdom Casts is owned by Kingdom Comics Incorporated and produced by Stan Daniel and Albert Marsh. 
No part of this program may be reproduced, replicated, or replayed without permission. Special thanks to Sandra Swindle. Also, thanks to our content contributors, Jason Bean, Tim Bryant, Denise Daniel, Josh Duke, Alex Fitzpatrick, Charles Hickey, Allison Marceau, Mark Adam Miller, and Katrina Olstead. Logo designed by Geoffrey Gwynn. Edited by Stan Daniel. Kingdom Casts is copyrighted 2020. All rights reserved.